2014 is kind of like a sequel to a big blockbuster, and that blockbuster was 2013. 2014 was okay, but it had a lot of the same stuff as 2013, and not nearly as popular as the original. Um, because of the success of Onita in 2013, they ended up running a 25th anniversary tour for FMW, and it did really well, with Onita having the same type of exploding barbed wire death matches. And then you had Freedoms, which they had a horrible start to 2014, and drew their worst Corrigan Hall show ever in March. Well, they ended up recovering and having one of their biggest shows ever in August and they ended up having Master C. Takeda win the title from Junkasai on Christmas and so Takeda's going to go into 2015 as their top guy although Junkasai is still the number one guy really when it comes to the Freedoms fan base and then you have the Apache Army they've gotten so small that they're not even releasing videos anymore of their shows and the only way to follow this promotion is just to attend their monthly small building shows so we're not even going to really talk about the Apache Army here in 2015. Zero One would hold the first show of the year on January 1st at Corrigan Hall, with Atsushi Onita having a match, as well as the announcement of a new promotion being made. Can you go over the match and what the new promotion was? Yeah, so on this show, it's going to be Atsushi Onita and Ichiro Yaguchi taking on the Voodoo Murders team, Ataru and Brother Yashi. I went over the Voodoo Murders last episode as they were this heel group that were pretty much freelance and they would go to several different promotions as this outside group would face off against the top baby faces of the promotion. Well, they're going to face it off against Onita and Yaguchi here when Dump Matsumoto's music would begin to play and she would come out and begin brawling with the uh, jobber sidekick of the Voodoo Murders called Voodoo Mass as this match has turned into a six-person match with all them brawling all over the building they would end up getting back in the ring with Taru trying to hit Onita over the head with a chair, but he would end up getting red mist spit in his face instead, and then Onita would end up hitting him with the DDT, and then Onita would end up taking a piece of a t broken table and again smashing it over Voodoo Mask's head, and then hit him with the DDT on the broken table piece for the win. After that, Megumi Kudo, who had done the ring introduction, would get grabbed by Taru and brought in the ring as Yashi would begin insulting her, with Matsumoto and Onita coming over to make the save, and Kudo delivering a slap to the face to Yashi, and sending him into a lariat by Matsumoto. Onita and Matsumoto would then hug, and Matsumoto would go over and raise Kudo's arm. The reason Megumi Kudo was there was because Zero One had announced that they were starting their own sub-promotion called Super Fireworks, and then Megumi Kudo was going to be the commissioner of this new promotion. This promotion was made to separate Zero One and the regular No Ropes Exploding Barbed Wire death matches that they were having all the time with Onita that were doing really well, and they're also going to have singles and tag team titles, and Onita is going to be the ace of this new promotion. Atsushi Onita would reunite his feud against Ricky Choshu and Tiger Mask, as well as somebody else who hated him on January 12th at Corrigan Hall. Can you go over this match and who else hated Onita and why? 
Yeah, so on this show, Asushi Onida is going to team up with Ichiro Yaguchi and Hideki Osaka, and they're going to take on Riki Choshu, Tiger Mask, and Takato Riki. Takato Riki was a former sumo wrestler that had been a part of the Real Japan Corrigan Hall show back in December 2014, and he did not appreciate getting red mist spit in his face and thrown into a barbed wire board by Onida. So for this show, he's going to team up with other noted Onida rivals in Tiger Mask and Riki Choshu. Onida and Tiger Mask, they had feuded throughout 2012 and 2013, but the feud had pretty much been dormant for well over a year at this point, and Choshu, he had that memorable feud with Onita in New Japan in 1999 and 2000, and the less memorable feud in World Japan in 2003. He had gone after Onita back in 2013 when Onita was in a match against Tiger Mask and pulling his Onita antics, making Choshu go after him. Well, it ended up taking 16 months before anything would come of it, and here they are going to face off against one another in a six-man barbed wire board death match. Choshu, moments after getting into the ring, would just grab Takatoriki and fling him into Onita, and then Takatoriki he would end up getting his revenge by spitting red mist in Onita's face this time, causing Onita to retreat out of the ring. And Takoto Riki would then take Onita into the crowd and smash his head against the west side of Corrigan Hall. Choshu would focus on Yaguchi and throw him into the barbed wire board and then a table, with Choshu just picking up the table and hitting Yaguchi with it. Onita and Takatoriki would make it back in the ring with Onita spitting red mist in Takatoriki's face this time, but Choshu would come over and him and Takatoriki would suplex Onita through the barbed wire board and then Takatoriki would choke slam Osaka through the barbed wire board and pick up the win. Onita would go after Takatoriki afterwards and they'd begin brawling in the crowd and Onita would spit red mist in Takatoriki's face again and just toss him aside before grabbing the mic. This only went six minutes, so they were not trusting anyone here, but Onida and Takatoriki had great heated chemistry with one another. I wish Onida and Choshu would have squared off one more time here, but they were pretty much separated the entire time other than when Choshu and Takatoriki suplexed Onida through the barbed wire board. This view would look like it was going to really pick up here, but this would end up being the end of it as Onida would end up not only never facing off against Takatoriki again, he would never face off against Tiger Mask or Choshu ever again as well. Super Fireworks would hold their first show on January 23rd in Osaka with the main event of Atsushi Onita against Yoshihiro Takayama in a no-ropes-exploding barbed wire and exploding bat deathmatch. Can you go over this match and what they were fighting for? Yeah, so this is to become the very first Super Fireworks Heavyweight Champion. Uh, the match would start with Takayama trying to send Onita into the explosions early on, but Onita, he would end up spitting red mist in Takayama's face instead and throwing Takayama into the exploding barbed wire. They would end up going to the outside and brawling in the crowd, with Onita slamming Takayama's face into a chair before they would end up getting back in the ring, and Onita would end up throwing Takayama into the exploding barbed wire again and covering him, but Takayama would manage to kick out. Onita would then grab a hold of Takayama, and they would both just walk into the explosions together this time, and then Onita would give the ugliest looking bulldog I've ever seen with Takayama kicking out. Takayama would get up and just give a boot to Onita's face, sending him into the exploding barbed wire, with Onita sticking to the barbed wire and doing a great job of selling the pain, but of course when Takayama would cover Onita, he would kick out. Onita would then grab Takayama, and they would end up going into the exploding barbed wire again. Eventually Takayama, he would get up and turn on the exploding barbed wire bat and smash it across Onita's back, and then and cover Onita, but Onita would kick out. So Takayama would take the bat and smash it across Onita in the midsection and cover Onita again, but Onita would still kick out. Takayama would then throw Onita into the exploding barbed wire again and cover Onita, but Onita would still kick out. And then Takayama would hit Onita with a backdrop and finally get the win over Onita. Another match that was just all explosions. This match flowed a lot better than the really bad match in t December 2013, but it was just kind of ridiculous how many times Onita was able to kick out. 
But with him doing the clean job, that was probably something that was agreed upon as this was the first time Onita was losing a singles match since 2012 against Akibono. Afterwards, Takayama would help Onita up and shake his hand with Onita falling to the ground. Takayama would end up leaving his champion, and then the Voodoo Murders would end up hitting the ring and attacking Onita, and then later they would end up attacking Takayama backstage. This would look to uh, set up a match with Onita and Takayama taking on the Voodoo Murders, but it would never actually end up happening, and actually this Super Fireworks uh, promotion would not have another show televised until May with... Um, having nothing to do with Onita and Takayama, as Onita would actually end up winning the Super Fireworks title in March against Takayama in a match not televised. Freedoms would hold a show at Shinkiba on January 29th with a masked tag team challenging for the King of Freedom tag titles. Can you go over who this team was and go over the top matches on the show? Yeah, so going forward, I'm only going to just talk about the attendance for Corrigan Hall shows when it comes to Freedoms, unless noted otherwise. Going forward, Freedoms is now focusing on Corrigan Hall shows with the Chinkiba shows there to set up a Corrigan. So um, the attendance doesn't matter as much. They're not living and dying by the Chinkiba attendance like they were at the beginning. Now they're living and dying by Corrigan Hall attendance, with them having more Corrigan Hall shows as Freedoms is becoming a bigger promotion. So in this show, Takashi Sasaki and Daisuke Masa they're going to team up to take on Buffalo and Suzumu. I talked about Buffalo last episode as his home promotion Osaka Pro had closed down so he was working numerous independents throughout the country including Freedoms at this point. Uh, Masaaka, he ended up ending 2014 as the new young star that Freedoms was going to push throughout the year. Masaaka, he would end up grabbing a chair early on and just smashing it over Suzumu and Buffalo's back but when Masaaka would go to swing at Buffalo's head, he would Buffalo would grab it from Masaaka and smash it over his head instead, which would bust Masaaka open. Buffalo and Suzumu would then work over the bloody Masaaka before Masaaka would come back and send Buffalo outside the ring and hit him with an Asai moonsault, but Buffalo would come back and throw Masaaka into the turnbuckle outside the ring, and then Buffalo would send Masaaka back in the ring and eventually finish him off with a lariat. This was here to set up Masaaka taking on Buffalo at the next month's uh, Shinkiba show, as Buffalo is being used here to build Masaaka up. And then the main events could be Junkasai and Masasidikata defending the King of Freedom tag team titles against El Hijo, Del Winger Uno, and Dos. This is the Brahmin brothers at a previous Shinkiba show that was not taped. They had failed to win the tag team titles against Kasai and Takeda. So they're doing the gimmick here where they're going to pretend to be a completely different team. And instead they're going to be the masked sons of the Winger. The Winger married a Mexican women's wrestler, Neftali. Um, so obviously he's going to have uh, Mexican children. So that, like I said, they're going to challenge Kasai and Takeda for the titles here. Um, so you have the Brahm brothers trying to do Lucha Libre spots in this match, including uh, walking on the ropes, pretending like they're going to do an Asai moonsault before Kasai and Takeda would take them in the crowd and just begin brawling all over the building with them. Kasai would end up trying to spit a drink in one of their faces, but the Brahmins would move out of the way, and Kasai would end up spitting it in the fan's face. This guy is such a fan, he randomly found me on Facebook and added me as a friend, so you know he's super up to being involved in this match. Kasai would end up grabbing all the streamers from under the ring and tying up one of the Brahmin brothers and placing him on the fan's lap and then go to hit him with a beer can, but the Brahmin would, brother would move out of the way and Kasai would end up accidentally hitting the fan again with it instead. 
One of the Bronwyn brothers would end up going up to the top and diving off on the outside on both Kasai and Takeda, as the other one would end up hitting a Topeko and Hilo on everyone. They would get back in the ring and both hit double Hurricane Ranas and then try for a La Magistral on Takeda. But Takeda would fight back and pick up one of them and drop them down as Takeda would end up placing him in the ankle lock at the same time that Kasai was putting on his arm scorpion with the other Brahmin brother coming in to break it up. Kasai would then go for a Pearl Harbor splash, but the Brahmin brother would move out of the way and then the other Brahmin brother would throw powder in both Kasai and Takeda's faces. The Brahmin brothers then would try for their nobody's perfect finishing move on Kasai, but Kasai would manage to kick out and hit one of them with a lariat and then try for a reverse tire driver, but the Brahmin brother would counter and then the other one come over and they would both end up rolling up Kasai for the win. This was a really fun match uh, with the Brahmin brothers doing a lot of creative spots, although I don't think Freelance felt like this gimmick had much legs to it as this gimmick would not end up lasting long. Afterwards, the winger would come out and hug both his sons for winning the tag titles. Daisuke Misaako would continue to get built up by Freedoms on their February 12th show at Shinkiba. Can you go over his match and who it was against? Yeah, so I mentioned a little while ago how Buffalo pinned Daisuke Masaaka in a tag team match at the previous Shinkiba show. Well, that set up the singles main event between the two, and Masaaka, he would end up sending Buffalo out of the ring right away and delivering a somersault off the apron onto Buffalo. They would begin brawling around ringside as Buffalo would end up grabbing a plastic container and just breaking across Masaaka, and then Buffalo would begin working on cutting open Masaaka before bringing him back in the ring and end up sending him onto the top rope to try and suplex him, but Masaaka Masaaka would end up delivering a headbutt to Buffalo, knocking him off the top, and then Masaaka would try for a flying drop kick, but he would end up missing it. Masaaka eventually would end up coming back and hitting a running knee to Buffalo and making the cover, when Suzumu would come down the ramp with a chair to distract the referee from making the count, and when Masaaka would get up to see what the deal was, he would get hit in the back by a chair from Buffalo, and then Buffalo would end up sending Masaaka into the ropes and try and hit him with the chair, but Masaaka would come back kicking the chair into Buffalo, and then Masaaka would end up smashing Buffalo in the head with the chair, and then hit a crappy elbow drop before delivering a running knee to get the win over Buffalo. The fans would let out a loud gasp due to the shock of Masaaka beating Buffalo. And afterwards, Suzumu would come over and begin hitting Masaaka with a chair, but Buffalo would end up just walking away as Suzumu would end up going after him. So the Masaaka build continues here, but this was not a shining example of his potential as the whole match was just based on Masaaka bleeding, and the crowd was just dead even towards the end of the match. And usually in a 20-minute main event match, they should pick up at least a little towards the end but not here. Uh, Masaaka getting the win was such a shock to the crowd that still just did not see him at quite at that level, but this was to build him for the next Corrigan Hall show as Masaaka is going to challenge Masashi Takeda for the King of Freedom's world title with Takeda accepting Masaaka's challenge after this match. Freedoms would hold another show at Shinkiba on March 5th to set up their upcoming Corrigan Hall show. Can you go over the top matches on that? Yes, yeah, so Kamui's got nostalgic over his early WMF days, and with his 10th year anniversary coming up, he's decided to begin teaming up with other former WMF wrestlers over the next couple months leading up to his 10 year anniversary show. So his first partner is going to be Onryo, and they're going to team up to take on another former WMF wrestler in Mama Sasaki, as well as Toru Sugawara on this show. Kamui and Onryo, they would jump Mammoth and Sugawara right away, with Onryo going up to the top and hitting Mammoth with a flying dropkick, and then trying for an Onryo clutch 
much, but Mammoth would block it and then pick Onryo up on his shoulders and just drop him. Mammoth would then charge at Onryo, but he would throw powder at Mammoth's face, but the blind Mammoth would still hit him with a lariat. Mammoth would then tag in Sugawara, and Kamui and Onryo would work on Sugawara until Mammoth would be good to come back, and he would end up hitting Kamui with the 29 years old, with Kamui managing to kick out, and then Mammoth would end up hitting the Mammoth home run this time to get the win over Kamui in one of the rare times that Mammoth had used his once devastating finisher to get the win. And then the El Hijo del Wingers are going to defend the King of Freedom tag team titles against Shintaro and Kenichiro Arai. The Brahmins, they would continue their Lucha Libre spots, including a dive and double planches to Jintaro and Arai on the outside, before returning back to their Brahmin ways by grabbing a street sign. And just as they were about to use the street sign, the winger would come in the ring and grab it, resulting in Arai tossing the other Brahmin into his brother, and then Arai would make the pin when the other Brahmin would use the street sign to make the save and end up hitting the winger with it, breaking the family apart. One of the Brahmins then would end up trying to throw powder at Arai, but he would end up moving out of the way, and the other Brahmin would end up getting it in the face instead, and then Arai would roll up that Brahmin brother to win the King of Freedom's tag team titles from the Sons of the Winger. The Brahmins would then take out their loss and begin attacking the Winger, and then end up placing a suitcase in the Winger's crotch, and go to roll a bowling ball when El Hija del Winger, the daughter of the Winger, would come out and ask for the Brahmins to not throw a ball but instead, she would take the bowling ball and throw it at him instead. So that's going to set up a match at Corrigan Hall with the winger taking on his entire family. And then the main events can be Takashi Sasaki and Daisuke Masaaka taking on Junkasai and Masashi Takeda in a fluorescent light tubes deathmatch. Shinkiba pretty much is going to have a light tube deathmatch every main event going forward, and Corrigan Hall is going to be where they do more intense weapons like glass. Uh, Sasaki, Kasai, Takeda would all begin brawling outside the ring when Masaaka would end up hitting a topake on Hilo on everyone and then grabbing a chair and going after Takeda with it. They would end up getting back in the ring with Kasai and Takeda taking turns beating on Masaaka and leaving him bloody before he would manage to tag in Sasaki, who would begin using all the light tubes on Kasai. Kasai and Sasaki would take turns smashing light tubes over one another's head before Takeda would come in and rush at Sasaki with light tubes breaking across him. All four would end up going back to the outside as Takeda would end up trying to hit an Olympic slam on Masaaka on the ramp, but Masaaka would block it and end up hitting an Asai moonsault on the ramp on Takeda, and then Masaaka would end up climbing up to the top of the bleachers and delivering a moonsault on both Takeda and Kasai. They would end up getting back in the ring, and Masaaka would go for a moonsault, but he would overshoot it and just barely manage to hit Takeda with it, with Kasai having to make the save. Sasaki would then come in and lay Kasai out with a kick to the head, leaving it to just be Masaaka and Takeda going at it, with Masaaka dropping Takeda on a stack of light tubes, and then placing another stack on Takeda and going for running knee, with Takeda moving out of the way and smashing that light tube stack over Masaaka's head. Takeda would follow that up with hitting a sick-looking suplex, and then Kasai would come in, and they would do their ankle lock, scorpion arm lock spot, followed by Kasai hitting a Pearl Harbor splash, and then Takeda hitting an Olympic slam with Sasaki having to make the save for Masaaka. Takeda would then lay a kick, breaking another stack over Masaaka, and then finish him off with the U-Crash to get the win. The end part really picked up here as Masaaka looked good, but I hate when the unproven guy challenging for the title loses the match prior to him getting the shot, as Freedoms does this to make it seem like, well, he lost the match prior, so that means he's going to win the big match coming up, but that rarely ends up being the case. Battle Ranger would promote his own show on March 17th at Shinkiba, with the FMW reunion taking place in the main event. Can you talk about this match and the main event that happened? 
So Asushi Onida, he's going to team up with Yukihide Ueno, who is Battle Ranger without the mask, and Flying Kid Ichihara. Ueno and Ichihara, they were part of the very first FMW male cl dojo class back in 1990. They're going to take on Mr. Ganosuke, Buffalo, and Asian Cougar in a Tornado Street fight. So it's a first year of FMW team taking on, I guess, IWA Japan team here, as Asian Cougar was in IWA Japan at the very end. Um, although Ueno is wearing an amazing FMW, will continue to live on as long as we love it t-shirt here. Onida, he would end up going after Ganosuke right away and they would brawl in the crowd as Ueno and Ichihara would face off against Cougar and Buffalo in the ring. Onida and Ganosuke they would square off and have an FMW dueling chair spot with one another with Onida winning it and smashing Ganosuke across the back. Onida and Buffalo would then duel with Onida winning it and smashing a chair over a Buffalo's head and then Onida would end up pile driving Buffalo through a table on the ramp of Shinkiba and then Onida would get back in the ring and hit Ganosuke over the head with a broken tailpiece and then hit Ganosuke with a double arm suplex, followed by Ichihara hitting a flying drop kick with everyone going to the outside as Ueno would try to hit an Asai Moonsault and botch the first attempt really bad and then end up hitting the ugliest Asai Moonsault you'll ever see on the second attempt. Ganosuke would then end up getting back in the ring and going to hit his praying powerbomb on Ueno, but Onita would come over and spit red mist in Ganosuke's face and then Ueno would end up hitting a backdrop on Buffalo and then finish Buffalo off with a tornado shot to get the win. It would also end up being found out that Ganosuke had suffered broken ribs during this match. This was pretty much just everyone going through the motions of an FMW nostalgic match, although it really didn't have any heat, and those two attempts at an Asai Moonsault by Ueno were ugly. Following the match, a bunch of former FNW wrestlers would get together. Tetsuhiro Kuroda, Mama Sasaki, Flying Kid Ichihara, Riki Fuji, Ueno wearing his Battle Ranger mask, Hideki Osaka, and Miss Mongol. They would all get together, and Ueno would announce that he was planning on funding a new FNW promotion called Super Battle FNW. Ueno and Ichihara, they would help finance the startup of this promotion, and former FNW Vice President Hideki Takahashi, he's going to be the new president of this startup company. I talked a little bit about Takahashi in the past. He worked in FMW pretty much the entire 1990s as he started in 1991 after Miki Ibaragi left to start up wing and he would end up leaving at the end of 1999 after the Yokohama Arena show was a bust and he probably saw the writing on the wall and got a job with All Japan and Simu Yoshida would end up taking over for him after that. Takahashi had some stain on him though with the old FNW as he had gambling debts with the Yakuza that were helping the FNW sell FNW house shows back in the day. So when Takahashi went to, to collect the money, the Yakuza just ended up not giving him any money because he owed them the, that money. So because of the debts he had, FNW did not get their house show money as a result. And Takahashi just claimed that the Yakuza just straight up stole it when it was really based on him not paying his debts. So because of the debts he had, FNW did not get their house show money as a result, and Takahashi just claimed that the Yakuza just straight up stole it when it was really based on him not paying his debts. Takahashi, Ueno, and Ichihara saw that the FNW 25th anniversary tour that Zero One put on back in summer of 2014 was a financial success, and they felt that bringing back the FNW name could still be profitable based on the nostalgia of it. Freedoms would hold their first Corrigan Hall show of the year on March 23rd, with Masashi Takeda defending his King of Freedom title against Daisuke Masaaka. Can you go over the top matches and how this show did? So they would announce a crowd of 713 fans for this show, which is a much better number than last year's March uh, Corrigan Hall show, which was the lowest number they'd ever done in the building. And it's also a better number than what they did for the fifth year anniversary show back in October of last year as well. So although this is not a good number, it's a good sign that the number is going up as they try to expand to five Corrigan Hall shows a year and have them all be successful. 
So on this show, Kamui, he ends up teaming up with another former WMF wrestler in Manio Fujita, and they're going to take on Kinji Fukimoto and Toro Sugawara. Kamui and Sugawara, they would face off with Fukimoto coming over and trying to help Sugawara deliver a super powerbomb to Kamui, but Kamui would manage to deliver the slowest reversal of a powerbomb you've ever seen, and then Manio Fujita would come over and lay Sugawara out with a kick to the head, followed by Kamui delivering a firebird splash on Sugawara to get the win. And then the next match is going to be the winger taking on his three kids, El Hijo Del Wingers, who are the Brahmin brothers, as well as El Hija Del Winger, who is Emi Sakura under the mask. And all three of them would end up jumping their father right at the bell and triple team him. And then they would end up finding the same fan in the front row as the Shinkiba show earlier in the month. And they would lay the winger on him and spit water at him, but the winger would end up moving out of the way and the Brahmin brothers would actually end up spitting the fan's face with the water instead. And then one of the Brahmin brothers would end up grabbing a bucket of water and try to splash the winger with it, but the winger would grab the bucket and eventually he would accidentally end up spilling it all over Sakura, and then Sakura would end up slipping on a wet spot on the mat afterwards. The winger would then end up laying all three of his children in the corner and going up to the top for a senton, but they would all end up moving out of the way as he would come down, and then the Brahmin brothers would go to hit the winger with the street sign, but the winger would manage to move out of the way, but then Emmy would end up coming over and rolling the winger up with the La Magistral for the win. So this is the conclusion of the El Hijo Del Winger gimmick, as the uh, Brahmin brothers would end up taking off the mask and just being the Brahmin brothers after this show. And then the next match is going to be Jintaro and Kenichiro Arai defending the King of Freedom's tag team titles against Buffalo and Suzumu, who is now going by his whole name, Yuya Suzumu, and has now become a submission-style wrestler instead of his original high-flying gimmick that he had. Suzumu would end up putting Jintaro in a cross-arm breaker right away and then begin laying kicks to Arai. Arai would end up coming back and taking off the turnbuckle pad and just smash it over Suzumu and then throw Suzumu into the unprotected corner as Jintaro would come in and get met with a running knee by Suzumu, and then Buffalo would end up hitting him with a lariat as Suzumu would put Jintaro in another submission with Arai having to make the save. Suzumu would then try to return to his roots and try for a splash off the middle top rope, but Jintaro would get his knees up and put Suzumu in a submission with Buffalo having to make the save. Jintaro and Arai would end up both climbing up to the top with Arai standing on Jintaro's shoulders, jumping off onto Suzumu, and then Jintaro would try to send Arai into the corner at Suzumu, but he would move out of the way and Arai would end up going headfirst into the unprotected corner and Suzumu would end up hitting Jintaro with a dropkick. Suzumu would then end up hitting a hurricane run off the top but Arai would end up rolling him up and get a near pinfall and then charge at Suzumu with Buffalo coming in and hitting a lariat followed by a running knee from Suzumu and then a super kick and then Suzumu would then place Arai in a cross arm breaker with Arai almost getting a roll up out of the deal but Suzumu would keep the move on with Jintaro coming off the top but Suzumu would still keep the move on as Buffalo would grab Jintaro and Arai would eventually have to tap this was okay. It looked like they were going to really push Suzumu as the submission killer after this, but I feel like they realized Suzumu doing the submission gimmick was just okay. And as a result, because it's a deathmatch promotion, he's been pretty much relegated to the undercard as a result because of the promotion going this deathmatch route and him not willing to do deathmatches. Suzumu and Buffalo are now the King of Freedom Tag Team Champions as the titles are getting passed around like hot potatoes just a year into their existence. And then Mema Sasaki, he's going to team up with Tenru and High 69. Tenru, he's making his Freedom's debut here as this is going to be his last year of his career before he retires in November. And Tenru's teaming up with Mammoth because they had a history together and worked a lot in 2003. As well as Hiroki, who has returned back to his old High 69 name here as High 69 was a regular for Tenru's Tenru Project promotion. And they're going to take on the fellow old-timer, Great Kajika, as well as Junkasai and Takashi Sasaki. 
Tenru would want Kajika right at the start with them exchanging chops, with Tenru knocking Kajika down, which would get the crowd chanting for Kajika. Kajika would hulk up from Tenru's chops, so Tenru would just punch him in the back of the head to the loud boos uh, from the crowd. Uh, Takashi Sasaki would get tagged in, and he would get chopped and punched by Tenru, so Kasai would come in as well, and he would get the same thing from Tenru, and then Tenru would tag in Mammoth, who would come in to go up against Kasai, and Mammoth would suplex Kasai off the top rope, and then choke slam him before Mammoth would tag in High 69, and then Kasai would tag in Kajika, and Kasai would just have about enough of this shit, and go outside and grab a light tube, and go over to Tenru on the ring apron, and just hit him over the head with a light tube, with the side of Tenru's head getting cut open from the glass, and begin bleeding with the crowd screaming for Kasai. Takashi Sasaki and Mammoth would square off with Takashi, trying to powerbomb Mammoth, but Tenru would come over and chop Takashi, and then Mammoth would send Takashi into a Tenru lariat, and then Mammoth would finish Takashi off with the 29 years old for the win. This was not much of a match as it was mostly just Tenru chopping everyone and then taking the light tube shot, which was probably the only thing most people know about this match. And then the main event's going to be Masashi Takeda defending the King of Freedom's world title against Daisuke Masaaka in a light tube's glass board deathmatch. They would start by stomping on light tubes so the glass would cover the ring mat. And they would end up going outside early on with Masaaka taking a light tube and smashing it over Takeda's head and then throwing him into the crowd. They would end up getting back in the ring and Masaaka would go for another light tube to the headshot, but Takeda would move out of the way and knee the light tube, breaking it over Masaaka and then grabbing him and going for a suplex into the first glass board in the corner, but Masaaka would end up just banging his head into the glass without it breaking in a brutal looking spot. Takeda would then try for the spot again and this time Masaaka's body would make it through the glass board. Takeda would then bring in a ladder and place light tubes on top of it and slam Masaaka onto him followed by a chair shot to the head and then Takeda would take Masaaka into the outside and try to throw him into the turnbuckle but Masaaka would reverse it and send Takeda into it instead. Masaaka would then climb up to the top and deliver a moonsault onto Takeda on the outside and then Masaaka would get back in ring and climb up to the top of the ladder, but Takeda would get up and hit Masaaka and then set up another glass board on a stack of chairs and try to suplex Masaaka off the ladder, but Masaaka would fight back and sunset flip Takeda off the ladder into the glass board in what would have been an amazing spot, but you can tell Masaaka's leg coming down pretty much broke the glass board. Masaaka would then deliver a running knee to Takeda, and then Masaaka would grab a stack of light tubes from under the ring and go for a running knee into the light tubes, but Takeda would move out of the way and smash the light tubes over Masaaka head with Masaaka no-selling it and hitting the running knee on Takeda, but Takeda would no-sell it and deliver a kick to Masaaka. Masaaka would then grab a bucket of thumbtacks and dump the bucket over his head and slam to Takeda on them and then place a board of thumbtacks over Takeda with Masaaka coming off the ladder with a knee but Takeda would reverse the thumbtack board with Masaaka going into it instead and then Takeda would deliver a German suplex with Masaaka managing to kick out as the crowd was super into this. Takeda would then deliver a running knee into another stack of light tubes and try for a U-crash but Masaaka would manage to escape and roll Takeda up and then Takeda would grab Masaaka and this time successfully hit the U-Crash on the thumbtack board for the win. This was an excellent match. As Masaaka's this was an excellent match, as this was Masaaka's star-making match, what he was willing to do. He kind of put a different spin to the standard uh, death match that you've been seeing over the last year, even though Kasai and Takeda are great. Adding in a high flyer that can do moonsaults and do all this extra stuff that they can't do, it's going to create something different that you don't see when you've seen matches like this all the time with light tubes and everything. Afterwards, Shintaro, he would come out and challenge Takeda for a title match at the next Corrigan Hall show in May. The announcement of the new Super Battle FMW promotion would happen on April 3rd with Hayabusa appearing. Can you go over the details of this press conference? 
Yeah, so this press conference is held to officially announce that Super Battle FMW is going to be starting up later in the month, as well as their office is going to be located in the same exact area that the old FMW office was located in, and they're also going to use the old FMW logo that they used under Onita uh, for this promotion. Hideki Takahashi, Hayabusa, and Battle Ranger, they were the first ones to come out for this press conference, and Takahashi would start off by saying, it's been 13 years since FMW has been dormant, I have finished my old job, and I would like to restore FMW once again. Then Battle Ranger stated, the old FMW is not being dragged out. I would like to make a new FMW. And then Hayabusa would say, when Mr. Takahashi asked about me joining, I could not give him an answer. But when Mr. Takahashi brought in Onita, I decided that I would participate in this FMW also. I will do as much cooperation as possible to the utmost. It will just not be an alumni or nostalgia, but it will be a new experience to create the new FMW. Hayabusa stated that he did not know what his official role with the company would be, and that he would not be able to attend all his, the shows, but he would attend as many as possible. And then Hayabusa responded to a question about Onita, stating, Mr. Onita and I are like cats and dogs, but there is no ill feeling towards one another. We have an ordinary relationship. So pretty much what Hayabusa is saying here is he didn't want to associate himself, if this was going to be like a Tarzan Goto super FMW promotion that was kind of real indie sleazy and really had no FMW connection, when Hayabusa learned, hey, Onita's going to be the main guy here, it's going to be a real FMW, okay, I can put my name to it, that this is going to be something and not just some trashy indie that's using the FMW name. Um, also, with the Onita thing, you know, Onita and him, they never got along when they were wrestlers, but, you know, I mean, that was years ago. They're not best friends, like he's saying, but, you know, hey, they're cordial. It was so long ago. I mean, Hayabusa doesn't secretly hate Onita anymore. It's water over the bridge. All those issues are over with, and, you know, especially after his career ended. You know, it wasn't something he could hold on to, and he respects Onita. They're not friends or anything, but, you know, they can work together with no issues. Takahashi would be asked, is this going to be like Onita's FNW or like Koto Fuyuki's Entertainment FNW? And Takahashi wouldn't answer, but he would say, if there, we can do an exploding deathmatch if possible, we want to do that. Well, that's pretty much saying we want this to be like Onita's FNW. They would also announce that they're going to tour in April and May, and that Takahashi has to work around Onita's super fireworks schedule to make sure there's no conflict in dates. And then Nosawa, he would come out and announce that he and Kazunari Murakami, they're going to be in a faction called the Monster Troop, and they're going to be the heel group going up against the FNW team, as Takahashi would accept Nosawa in the promotion, he would announce that not only will there be former FNW wrestlers on the show, but there's going to be uh, Wrestle 1 wrestlers as well on the mid-card. Now, I know there's been some confusion with this promotion. I know Wikipedia incorrectly states that this promotion is connected to the original FNW. It's not. It's as connected to the original FNW as Tarzan Goto's Super FNW was. Pretty much, they, like Tarzan Goto, started up a promotion and just added an extra couple words before FMW, because if they could just run a promotion called FMW and not get sued, they would, but they knew they couldn't, so they added Super Battle, and that's why this promotion is called Super Battle FMW. It is not directly linked to the original FMW. It just has all the old wrestlers, and they're using the old logo and everything, but it's not the same promotion. They didn't go and spend $2.8 million out of the bank when during the bankruptcy filing to claim ownership of the original FMW. Why do that when you could just just start your own promotion from scratch and just call it Super Battle FMW. That's the same thing, whatever. And hey, you confused enough people that a lot of people do believe this is the same promotion. FMW is now 
just taking a 13-year hiatus, and it's now continuing on again, when technically it's just a new promotion calling itself FMW. They don't own the old library, you know, video library. They don't own anything from the original FMW. They're just taking a couple things they know they can take and get away with it legally, but other than that, this has no connection to the original FMW, other than they're saying, hey, this is the, this is the same, which just FMW brought back to life when realistically it's not it's essentially as if uh, you know a local indie guy in america wants to call his new promotion super battle ecw you know and hey hopefully vincent man doesn't sue him for that it's pretty much the same thing as that so this promotion it, it it's trying to capture the old FMW spirit and, you know, having Onid on top and everything, but technically it is not the old FMW and a lot of people get that confused. Mr. Donisuke would promote his own show on April 7th at Shinkiba with the main event of him going up against his own student, Yuko Miyamoto. Can you go over this match? So this is going to be Mr. Ganesuke's second promoted show since coming back out of retirement last year. And he's going to have this match against Yuko Miyamoto. He wants to have a match with his number one student that he helped train back in the WMF Dojo back in 2003. And is coming into this match with broken ribs after uh, last month's Battle Rangers show where he ended up suffering them in the street fight against Onida. Um, so the first ten minutes of this match are essentially Miyamoto working on Ganesuke's knee to keep the match on the mat. Uh, eventually they would end up turning this into a chop fest with Miyamoto actually getting the better end of it and knocking Ganesuke down. Things would pick up about 15 minutes in with Ganesuke charging at Miyamoto and getting caught and being hit with a belly to back suplex with Ganesuke retreating to the outside and Miyamoto would end up hitting a tope con hilo on Ganesuke to the outside and then Miyamoto would end up looking to send Ganesuke into the ropes but Ganesuke would reverse it and Miyamoto would go for his handspring elbow but Ganesuke would catch him and deliver a suplex in an awesome looking spot followed by Ganesuke hitting a lariat as the crowd is beginning to go crazy here after the 15 minutes of mat work. Ganesuke would then end up hitting a praying powerbomb on Miyamoto and then going for a fire thunder, but Miyamoto would manage to escape and Ganesuke would end up rolling him up with the Ganesuke clutch for a two count followed by going for a lariat with Miyamoto catching Ganesuke and rolling Ganesuke up with the Ganesuke clutch which I believe is the first time that someone's done this move on Ganesuke himself but Ganesuke would manage to kick out at two. Miyamoto would then go to hit Ganesuke with his own praying powerbomb and Ganesuke would come right down on his neck in a brutal looking spot. Miyamoto would then end up hitting a moonsault on Ganesuke, but Ganesuke would still manage to kick out. And then Miyamoto would end up hitting Ganesuke with the Fire Thunder, but again, Ganesuke would kick out to a huge ovation as the fans are screaming for Ganesuke here. Miyamoto would then place Ganesuke in an octopus hold, with Ganesuke screaming in pain as Miyamoto would end up bringing it to the ground, and Ganesuke would end up having to quickly tap out due to his broken ribs. This was a really smart match, and even though I'm not the biggest fan of the beginning parts of these Ganesuke, game matches they can be really dry but they build the matchup so well to where when they start picking up the pace the crowd gets really into it this also told a great story as the teacher versus student with Miyamoto doing all the moves Ganesuke taught him and using them on the teacher Mr. Ganesuke I wish this would have led to a better finish but I'm sure Ganesuke didn't want to lose to any of his moves and felt the realism of his broken ribs making him have to tap out would be the best outcome this was a really good match a fake Hiroshi Tanahashi would come to the ring afterwards and celebrate with Ganesuke and Miyamoto as they would raise each other's arms before kicking the fake Tanahashi down. Freedoms would hold a show at Shinkiba on April 16th with Kamui and Mammoth Sasaki teaming up. Can you go over their match and the main event of this show? 
Yeah, so Mammoth is going to be Kamui's WMF partner going forward, and they're going to take on Junkasai and Kinchi Fukimoto. In this match, we start with Kasai and Fukimoto jumping the WMF team and then brawling outside the ring with Kamui smashing Fukimoto with a chair, and then Kasai finding his fan in the front row and placing Mammoth on him and going to spit a drink at Mammoth with Mammoth moving out of the way and Kasai getting it in the fan's face instead, and the fan is clapping, loving every second of it, while Kamui on the other side of the building would end up hitting a moonsault onto Fukimoto off the bleachers. Mammoth would get back in the ring and place a ladder over his head and hit both Kasai and Fukimoto with it and then tag Kamui in who would end up hitting a flying drop kick to Fukimoto and then try to shove Fukimoto in in the corner using a ladder but Kasai would come over to help Fukimoto resulting in Mammoth coming in and just overpowering everyone and shoving Kasai and Fukimoto in the corner with the ladder. Kamui would then end up going up to the top of the ladder and trying for a swanton off of it but Fukimoto would move out of the way and then Kasai would get tagged in and just smash a chair over the head of Kamui but Kamui would manage to fight back and deliver a drop kick to Kasai, followed by Mammoth and Kamui placing a chair over Kasai's head, and they would both go for the Mammoth home run, with Kasai ducking and throwing the chair at Mammoth, and then taking Kamui's chair and hitting him over the head with it, and then Kasai would end up hitting Kamui with a Pearl Harbor splash with Mammoth having to make the save. Fukimoto would then end up hitting a package pile driver on a stack of chairs on Kamui, with Mammoth knowing he had enough time to make the save by grabbing one of the chairs and just throwing it at Fukimoto to stop the count. Fukimoto would then go for another package pile driver, but Kamui would end up rolling him up with the Kamui clutch for the win out of nowhere. So this is going to set up the WMF team challenging for the King of Freedom's tag team titles at the next show at Corrigan. And then the main events can be Masa Sidakeda and Daisuke Masaaka teaming up after their newfound respect with one another to take on Takashi Sasaki and Jintaro in a fluorescent light tubes deathmatch. Takeda and Jintaro, they would start off, and Takeda would end up kicking Jintaro and then throwing him into the light tubes and then smashing him over the head with the light tube, and then Takeda would end up just taking the light tube and smashing it over his head himself, and then this would result in all four of them just going outside the ring with Masaaka and Sasaki going at it, with Masaaka throwing Sasaki in the crowd as Takeda would end up just cutting open Jintaro with one one of the light tubes to his forehead. They would end up getting back in the ring with Takeda placing a stack of light tubes over Jintaro and just smashing them with a chair, and then Sasaki would end up coming in the ring and square off with strikes to Takeda, but Masaaka would come over and deliver a knee to Sasaki, sending him out of the ring, as Masaaka would end up hitting an Asai Moonsault on Sasaki. This is going to leave Jintaro and Takeda to go at it alone, as Takeda would end up hitting a suplex on Jintaro, but Jintaro would fight back and manage to hit a backdrop suplex to Takeda, but Takeda would get up right away and just deliver a kick to Jintaro, and then deliver another kick to a stack of light tubes breaking them across Jintaro and then Takeda would end up finishing Jintaro off with a German suplex. This was just a standard of a deathmatch as you could pretty much get as they do the champion defeating the underdog challenger once again to set up for the title match at the next Corrigan Hall show. Super Battle FMW would hold their first show in Tokyo on April 27th at the Shinjuku Face. Can you go over the main event and what ended up happening after the match? Yeah, so the promotion would actually start off on April 21st, and they would end up completing an entire tour with pretty much the same main event match every time. Um, they would end up announcing 550 fans in this 650-seat uh, building. So if this is anywhere near true to, um, I would consider it a success. The main event would end up being Atsushi Onida, Masada Tanaka, and Hideki Osaka going up against Nosawa and his heel group of Kazunori Murakami and a mass wrestler going by 
by the name Super Shooter, which was an old FMW gimmick in the early days. This would not be televised, so I only have a video of this one camera taping the show, which looks like a handheld, but it's at ringside. This is going to be a barbed wire board death match, and before the match would even start, um, two mass heel wrestlers, Monster Freddy and Monster Leather, who would end up being Tomohiko Hashimoto and Ichiro Yaguchi, they would end up coming to the ring and attacking Onita right away and hold Onita as Murakami would come over and just punch Onita out. Onita and Murakami would end up going into the crowd and Onita would end up throwing Murakami down and hitting him with the chair and then pile driving Murakami through a table. Onita would end up getting back in the ring and thrown into a barbed wire board followed by Nosawa and Monster Leather hitting Onita with a barbed wire bat before they would end up setting up a barbed wire board on a stack of chairs and suplexing Onita through it. Nosawa would then grab a hold of Onita and Murakami would end up taking a swing with the barbed wire bat, but Onita would move out of the way and Murakami would end up hitting Nosawa, followed by Onita sending Murakami into the barbed wire board. Onita would then take a broken table piece and smash it over Murakami and Nosawa's head, and then Osaka would come over and deliver a hurricane run into Super Shooter, followed by Tanaka hitting a Superfly Splash, and then Onita would end up trying for a Thunderfire Powerbomb, but Murakami would come over and begin choking Onita out. Monster Leather would go to Powerbomb Onita through the barbed wire board, but Tanaka would end up coming over and throwing Monster Leather out of the ring, and then Onita would end up spitting red mist in Nosawa's face, and then he and Hosaka would end up suplexing Nosawa through the barbed wire board. Murakami would then come over at Onita, but he would end up getting red mist spit in his face as well, and then Onita would end up finishing Nosawa off with the Thunderfire Powerbomb for the win. So the FMW team gets the win on the very first FMW show, and afterwards, Kanemura, he would end up hitting the ring and attack Onita, and this would symbolize what he did back in 1994 when he appeared in FMW for the very first time after jumping Onita after he had just had a match with Mr. Pogo and announcing that they were forming the new Wing Stable. Well, now they're going to go to war against Onita again. This time it's going to be called the Wing Monster Army, and this group is going to consist of Kanemura, Monster Leather, Monster Freddy, and Nosawa, and they're going to go to war with FMW and Onita 21 years later. Freedoms would come back to Corrigan Hall on May 1st with Mr. Ganesuke appearing for the first time for the promotion. Can you go over his match as well as the top matches on this show and how it did? So they would announce a crowd of 875 fans for this show, which is pretty much just the number they're going to average for a regular Freedoms Corrigan Hall show. It's going to take a Junkasai promoted show for the number to go higher than this at this point. You know, this show has a death match, a two death matches on top, and they're just not going to hit a thousand at this point under the Freedoms name. It's going to take the Junkasai banner, uh, with them, even if it's had the same matches, to possibly go over a thousand or so for a Corrigan Hall show at this point for Freedoms. And like he just said, this is Mr. Ganesuke's debut in Freedoms. He's going to have a short-term gig here with the promotion for the next couple months as Kamui is having a bunch of the WMF guys uh, join him in, in his group. And so on this show, Ganesuke is teaming up with a fellow former WMF wrestler, Onryo, and they're going to take on Tetsuhiro Takeiwa and Toru Sugawara. And this match would start with Takeiwa and Onryo facing off against one another, with Takeiwa trying for a powerbomb on Onryo, but Onryo would have so much dust on him it would blind Takeiwa, but Onryo would fail to hit a Hurricane Rana on Takeiwa, and Takeiwa would just end up powerbombing him instead. And then Ganesuke would come in and begin exchanging lariats with Takeiwa, with Ganesuke getting the better end of it, but as he would try for a praying powerbomb, Takeiwa would pick him up and deliver a Death Valley bomb to him. Sugawara would get tagged in and hit a flying drop kick to Ganesuke, and then Sugawara would manage to backdrop Ganesuke 
with Onro having to make the save, and then Sugawara would charge at Ganosuke, but he would be met with the Lariat, and then a praying power bomb, and then Ganosuke would finish Sugawara off with a fire thunder for the win, so the WMF team gets the win, Ganosuke gets the win in his debut here in Freedoms, and then Mamas Sasaki and Kamui are going to challenge for the King of Freedoms tag team titles against Yuya, Suzumu, and Buffalo. Mammoth and Kamui, they would jump Buffalo and Suzumu right away, and they would find their way to the outside of the ring with Suzumu delivering kicks to Mammoth until he would just lay M Suzumu out with a clothesline. They would end up getting back in the ring with Mammoth nailing Suzumu with another clothesline and Buffalo having to make the save for his partner. Kamui would then throw Buffalo out of the ring and then hit an Asai Moonsault onto him with Mammoth hitting an awesome bomb on Suzumu. Mammoth would then go for another clothesline, but Buffalo would grab his leg from out of the ring, and Suzumu would end up placing a cross arm breaker on Mammoth, with Mammoth having to try and power out of it, but once he would be able to finally get out of the move, but he would end up being met by a clothesline from Buffalo, and end up just being placed right back into the cross arm breaker, with Kamui having to make the save by hitting a swanton bomb, followed by Mammoth hitting a lariat, and then hitting the 29 years old on Suzumu to get the win, so Mammoth and Kamui win the King of Freedom Tag Team titles here. And then Masashi Takeda would defend the King of Freedom World Championship against Shintaro. There would be thumbtacks already laid in the middle of the ring at the start of the match, and Takeda would just drop himself right into them right away as the crowd would go crazy before they would begin chanting for Shintaro to do the same thing, which he would end up obliging to. They would go outside right at the start, and Takeda would end up grabbing a light tube and just breaking it over Shintaro's head, and again cut open Shintaro's forehead with it. Takeda would end up bringing Shintaro back in the ring and just nailing him over the head with a chair shot, and then slamming him on a barbed wire board, and then grab a chair and just begin smashing that barbed wire board over Jintaro with that chair. Takeda would then take some of the barbed wire from the board and begin cutting open Jintaro with it, and then Takeda would end up wrapping some of the barbed wire around Jintaro's arm, but Jintaro would end up using that barbed wire to hit Takeda with it, but Takeda would just come right back and just stick thumbtacks in Jintaro's forehead, and then smash him over the head again with the chair, and use another chair just to slam him with it, as this has just been a Jintaro massacre in a deathmatch world that he was just not regularly a part of. Shintaro would come back by flipping Takeda into the thumbtacks and then placing Takeda in an ankle lock, but Takeda would get out of it and hit a German suplex on Jintaro on the thumbtacks, and then Takeda would end up kicking a stack of light tubes at Jintaro, but Jintaro would move out of the way and hit Takeda over the head with them and then hit a backdrop on the thumbtacks. Jintaro would end up placing Takeda in the sharpshooter on the thumbtacks and then hit a double arm suplex off the top, sending Takeda into the thumbtacks with the side of Takeda's face bleeding pretty badly. Jintaro would then end up trying to hit a backdrop again, this time on a stack of light tubes, but Takeda would use his body to send Jintaro crashing into them instead, and then place Jintaro in a crossface with the top of Jintaro's back cut open really deep. Jintaro would manage to get out, but Takeda would end up hitting another German suplex to finish Jintaro off. This seemed even more intense than the standard deathmatch just because of how deep both of them were bleeding, and but they didn't really do anything that you haven't seen in most deathmatches. Takeda would work at a much slower pace here because of Jintaro but it still served its purpose and was a good semi-main event level match, especially with how deep they ended up getting cut here. Another main event's going to be Junkasai and Takashi Sasaki taking on Yuko Miyamoto and Asami Kodaka in a no-canvas, knives-board, razor-cross-board deathmatch. There really was no build to this match, but it's more of just, hey, all these guys are main eventers, and you know this will probably be a really awesome deathmatch, so it's the main event. I also believe this is the introduction to the knives-board, where someone like Kasai will have his wife buy knives from a store, and then they'll try and dull them as much as they can, so they won't deep 
swiftly cut you and put you in the emergency room right away, although that always ends up leaving room for human error. Kasai and Kodaka would start off with striking one another, with Kasai trying to send Kodaka into the Razor Crossboard, but he would stop himself just short of it, and Kasai would run over to try and shove his face into it, but Kodaka would manage to move out of the way. And then Sasaki would come in, but Kodaka and Miyamoto would team up on him and send him headfirst into the Razor Crossboard. Sasaki would come back and deliver a German suplex to Kodaka, with his head landing right on the wooden boards, with Sasaki tagging in Kasai, and Kasai would send Miyamoto into the knives board. Kodaka would then come in, and they would end up taking turns hitting each other over the Razor Crossboard, leaving Kasai a bloody mess as he would tag back in Sasaki, and Sasaki would end up picking Kodaka and try for a DJ's, but Kodaka would manage to escape and slap Sasaki in the face and then slam him on the knives board and tag Miyamoto in. Kasai would come over and help Sasaki double-team Miyamoto, and then they would end up taking apart the wooden boards of the ring, with Kasai trying to hit a reverse Tiger Driver on Miyamoto into the hole of the ring, but Kodaka would end up diving off the top rope on Kasai, and then Sasaki would end up picking up Kodaka and hit a DJ's on him through the hole of the ring onto a stack of chairs. Miyamoto would then take Kasai and hit a Thunderfire Powerbomb on him, but Sasaki would come out of the hole with light tubes and smash them over Miyamoto's head. Sasaki would then pick up Miyamoto and slam him on the wooden boards, with Kasai climbing up the top and hitting a Pearl Harbor splash, but Kodaka would immediately come off the top with a double knee drop to make the save for Miyamoto. Miyamoto would then get up and pick Kasai up and hit a Fire Thunder on the wooden boards, followed by a Phoenix Centon, and then hit another Fire Thunder on Kasai to get the win. This was really good, and they all really tried hard here, and the crowd was into it, but it might have just been because not that many people were in the building. There just wasn't that much electricity that this match probably would have had five years earlier in Big Japan with all four of these guys. Still, like I said, it was a really good match, just not at the level it could have been or should have been with all four of these guys killing each other. Big Japan would return to the Yokohama Bunker Gym for May 5th with the main event for the Big Japan Deathmatch title. Can you talk about this match and what kind of match this was? Yeah, so this is going to be a rematch from just five months earlier back in December 2014 in the same building and it's going to be a barbed wire, concrete block, spike nail death match. Kobayashi, he, early on, he would end up sending Miyamoto into the corner where the concrete blocks had been placed, but Miyamoto would stop himself just short and Kobayashi would end up drop kicking Miyamoto, sending him into the blocks. Kobayashi would then try to put Miyamoto in a crab hold on the spike nails, but Miyamoto would reverse it and send him into the nails instead. Miyamoto would then slam Kobayashi on a stack of concrete blocks and go for a Phoenix Centon, but Kobayashi would move out of the way and then throw Miyamoto into the barbed wire tied up ropes with Miyamoto coming back and going for a handspring elbow, but Kobayashi would catch him but then Miyamoto would roll him up with this awkward looking Ganosuke clutch and then a La Magistral. They would begin exchanging headbutts to one another before Miyamoto would just pick Kobayashi up and hit a fire thunder on him with Kobayashi kicking out. Miyamoto would then lay the spike nail board over Kobayashi and this time successfully hit a Phoenix Centon onto it, sending them into Kobayashi, but Miyamoto would then try to slam Kobayashi and Kobayashi would just begin punching Miyamoto and then try to powerbomb him on the spike nails, but Miyamoto would manage to flip him over and onto the spike nails. Miyamoto would then charge at Kobayashi and Kobayashi would flip him high up in the air and come crashing down right on the spike nails in a brutal looking spot and then place Miyamoto in the Boston Crab on the spike nails with Miyamoto tapping out. This match started out slow, but it picked up a lot towards the end even though, like usual, the crowd at Yoko Yokohama Bunka Gym just did not care and did not get loud for it. Uh, the curse of defending the Big Japan Deathmatch title against someone you've already defended against strikes again as Kobayashi is now the champion once again. 
but this time it's more of a transitional run. This is like when someone ends up winning the WWE title at Royal Rumble to set up a main event match at WrestleMania, essentially. Kamui would hold his 10th anniversary show on May 17th in Osaka, with some WMF reunion matches taking place on the show. Can you talk about these matches? Yeah, so the first WMF match of the show is going to be Garuk and Mask and Taita Heat, who are two wrestlers for the Okinawa-based Ryukyu Dragon promotion, as well as Masamun. They're going to take on the WMF team of Onryo, Yuko Miyamoto, and Minio Fujita, all former WMF wrestlers. This match will start with Onryo and Garukin facing off of one another, with Garukin climbing up the top, and Onryo would end up throwing dust in his face, and then delivering a Hurricane Rana, and then roll up Garukin with an Onryo clutch, before he would tag in Minio Fujita, as Garuk would end up tagging in Masamun, and Vegeta would end up laying him out with a dropkick and then Enziguri before he would end up tagging in Miyamoto who would go at it with Taita Heat. And Taita Heat would end up trying for a swanton bomb but he would end up missing it and then Fujita would end up laying him out with a kick to the head followed by Miyamoto hitting a Thunderfire powerbomb and then a moonsault on Taita Heat for the WMF win. And then the main events can be Mama Sasaki and Kamui teaming up to defend the King of Freedom tag team titles against Mr. Ganosuke and Gasaku Gashigawara. This is Kamui's 10th year anniversary match, and so he has Mr. Ganosuke who, and Mama Sasaki in the match. Both of them helped train him at the WMF Dojo. Ganosuke would jump Kamui right away as the fans were throwing streamers in the ring for Kamui. Kamui would be wearing a special golden white outfit for this match, and he would end up begin brawling with Ganosuke in the crowd, with Ganosuke throwing Kamui in the seats before getting back in the ring. Ganosuke would then end up charging at Kamui, with Kamui delivering a Hurricane Rana to Ganosuke, who would end up going to the outside and be met by a Kamui diving on top of him. Mammoth and Gasaku would then face off with Mammoth grabbing a barbed wire bat and using it to cut open Gasaku before Ganosuke and Kamui would begin going at one another by chopping each other until Ganosuke would end up just kicking Kamui low. Mammoth would then end up coming in the ring with a ladder over his head and hit both Ganosuke and Gasaku with it before hitting a choke bomb on Ganosuke. Mammoth would then end up putting a chair over Ganosuke's head and hit him with the Mammoth home run, and then follow that up by hitting Gasaku with one as well, and then Mammoth would tag in Kamui, who would end up hitting Ganosuke with a flying dropkick, and then a tilt-a-whirl on Gasaku that would send him out of the ring, and then Kamui would end up delivering an Asai Moonsault with Gasaku kind of catching him. Kamui would then end up hitting an oppressive-looking Moonsault off the top on Gasaku, followed by a Swanton Bomb with Ganosuke having to break the pin to make the save, and then Ganosuke and Mammoth would exchange lariats with one another, with Ganosuke catching Mammoth's arm and rolling him up with the Ganosuke clutch for two. Kamui would then end up grabbing a light tube and try to hit Gasaku with it, but Gasaku would end up grabbing the light tube from him, but then Kamui would end up delivering a Pele kick, breaking the light tube in Gasaku's face, and then Kamui would end up going up to the top and hit a Firebird splash on Gasaku to get the win to defend the King of Freedom tag team titles here. This was a fun match, although Gasaku is beyond worthless at this point. Everyone else did a really good job of trying to make this match a success. Gasaku was actually the first one to lose to Kamui a year after he debuted in WMF under the Kamui gimmick, so it was fitting that Kamui would beat him in his 10th year anniversary show, even though he's so washed at this point. Super Battle FMW would hold another show on May 20th at the Shinjuku Face as the FMW team would take on the Wing Monster Army. Can you talk about what happened in this match? Yeah, so this show would start off with Hayabusa opening it up and talking to the fans about this being a new FNW, similar to the new FNW that he had been a part of 20 years earlier, although this group is a lot more like the original FNW with Onita back on top. 
The main event is going to be Asushi Onida, Masato Tanaka, Hideki Osaka, and Yoshikazu Yokoyama, who is a 0-1 wrestler. And they're going to take on Kazunori Murakami, Kentaro Kanemura, now going by Wing Kanemura for this promotion, Nosawa and The Winger in a barbed wire board deathmatch. Monster Leather and Monster Freddy, they would interfere right away, and Onida would end up nailing Leather over the head with a chair and then hit a DDT on him when Kanemura would end up grabbing Onida, and then Murakami would come over and just knock Onida out with a punch. Tanaka and Kanemura would then face off with Tanaka hitting a tornado DDT and then Tanaka would go to the outside of the ring to help Onita pile drive Murakami through a table and then they would end up getting back in the ring with Onita pile driving Nosawa through the table this time when Monster Leather would come over to make the save by hitting Onita with a barbed wire bat. Kanemura and Murakami would then grab two barbar bats and both hit Onido at the same time with them, with Kanemura making the pin, but Yokoyama would end up coming over to make the save for Onida. Monster Leather and Monster Freddy would then suplex Onida through a barbed wire board, with Kanemura continuing to attack Onida with the barbed wire bat, and then Nosawa would go to hit Onida with the barbed wire bat, but he would be met by red mist spitting his face by Onida, and then Onida would end up taking the barbed wire bat and hitting Kanemura with it, and then begin hitting everyone over the head with the broken table piece. Hosaka would then come in and hit the winger with a hurricane rana and then Yokoyama would end up picking up the winger but Murakami would come over and just lay Yokoyama out with punches and kicks. Kanemura and the rest of the wing monster army would set up a barbed wire board and Kanemura would go to powerbomb Yokoyama through it but Onida would come over and make the save by spitting red mist in Kanemura's face this time and then he would hit a powerbomb on Nosawa sending him into the barbed wire board and then Tanaka would come off the top with a superfly splash and then Onida would end up finishing Nosawa off with the thunderfire powerbomb to get the win. A lot of the same stuff as the previous month, but that's just what you're going to get when you have Onita in the same role against a lot of the same opponents. After the match, a man and a Jason the Terrible Mass would come to the ring and lay Onita out with a kick as the Wing Monster Army now has a Jason the Terrible added to the group. Super Fireworks would hold a big show at the Oda Ward Gym in Tokyo on May 23rd in a no-ropes exploding death match for the newly created Explosive Tag Team titles. Can you go over this match for everybody? So Anita's going to team up with Shiguza Nagayo here. She's most famous for her run in All Japan Women's back in the 1980s as a part of the Crush Gals group. And she had also retired and came back, so she has that bomb with Onita. And they're going to take on Taru and Dump Matsumoto, who has since turned heel after helping Onita and Kudo back in January. And like you said, this is going to be a no-ropes exploding barbed wire death match for the newly created Super Fireworks Tag Team titles. This match would start with Taru and Matsumoto attacking Onita and Nagayo right away and tossing them both into the exploding barbed wire together. As Nagayo would end up falling outside of the ring, Onita would stand there on the barbed wire and still manage to spit mist in Taru's face. Onita would immediately grab Taru outside the ring and throw him into the crowd as Matsumoto would do the same thing to Nagayo, and then Onita would end up throwing Taru in the seats while Matsumoto would do the exact same thing to Nagayo. Everyone would get back in the ring and Taru would end up grabbing a barbed wire bat, but Onita would grab it from him and hit him with it, but Taru would grab Onita and just toss him into the exploding barbed wire, and then Matsumoto would begin stabbing Onita's arm with a fork, as Matsumoto would end up hitting Nagayo over the head with a sign. Taru and Matsumoto would then grab Nagayo and throw her into the exploding barbed wire again, and then Matsumoto would begin stabbing Nagayo in the forehead with a fork, causing her to begin to bleed as the very heavy female fan base in the crowd are just screaming for Nagayo here. Taru would then act like he was going to stab Nagayo again with the fork, but she would end up spitting red mist in his face, and then Onita and Nagayo would grab Taru and double suplex him, and then Onita would grab the fork and begin stabbing Matsumoto with it, and then Onita and Nagayo would grab Taru and Matsumoto and just toss 
toss them both into the exploding barbed wire, and then Onita and Nagayo would then lay both Taru and Matsumoto on a set of chairs and grab two exploding barbed wire bats. And as they were about to both hit them with the exploding barbed wire bats, the siren would all of a sudden just turn off, as it would be revealed that Brother Yashi had turned it off, and this would allow Taru and Matsumoto to grab their chairs and attack Onita and Nagayo with them, and then all four of them would grab onto one another, and all four would end up going into the exploding barbed wire together. Nagayo would end up hitting a roundhouse kick on Taru, while Matsumoto and Onita would end up going into the exploding barbed wire together again, as Onita would end up just falling on Matsumoto and getting the pin here, so Onita and Nagayo end up getting the win and winning the Super Fireworks Tag Team titles. This was a good match as they did a couple different things here than just the standard exploding barbed wire spots, but also the females in the crowd screaming for Nagayo really helped here as it seemed like the crowd was going crazy and seeing this stuff for the very first time, which might have been the case, and this is actually going to be the last time that Super Fireworks airs on television for the next year plus as they're not going to air another Super Fireworks show until July 2016. Mr. Ganesuke would take on the winger for the Guts World promotion on May 26th at Shinkiba. Can you go over this match and what made it so unique? So I talked about it last episode, how Ganesuke, at 46, having just come back into the ring after a near six-year absence, he was not about taking any bumps that he did not have to. Now you add in the fact that he's just getting over broken ribs, and you end up having this match here against the winger, who is also banged up from 20-plus years of death matches. So this match starts off with a lot of stalling, before the winger would end up hitting Ganesuke with a dropkick, and after that, Ganesuke would not take another bump the entire match. They would then do about 10 minutes of mat work, before the winger would try to backslide Ganesuke and go for a clothesline, but Ganesuke would turn that into a backslide, and then they would take turns rolling up one another before the winger would end up trying for a powerbomb, and Ganesuke would roll him up with the Ganesuke clutch for the win, and that is how you do a match when you do not want to take any bumps whatsoever. This wasn't anywhere near the level of the Jintaro match where Ganesuke got away without taking any bumps for a majority of the match, and when he finally did, the crowd went crazy. This match, the crowd did not care anywhere near as much as they did back in last year, but this was also an undercard match that had 10 minutes of mat work before the payoff was a bunch of roll-ups. 666 would hold their show on June 6th at Shinkiba with Goemon and Onryo teaming up along with Jintaro on the show. Can you go over their match? Yeah, so they're going to take on the team of Kauzi, who is a 666 heartthrob, Survival Tobita, and the return of Kitten Kid, who is having his first match since WMF back in 2008. Also, Jintaro is dressed up like a dog here, and Onryo is wearing kitten ears for this match. Onryo and Kitten Kid, they would start off by striking one another before Kitten Kid would end up sending Onryo out of the ring and then teasing doing a tope onto him, but just smacking Onryo on the head instead. Kauzi and Jintaro would end up coming in, and Kauzi would begin delivering kicks until Jintaro would catch one of them and put Kelsey in the figure four before Kitten Kid would come over and hit Jintaro with a flying dropkick. Kitten Kid would then go up against Goemon and Onryo and use Goemon to deliver a Hurricane Rana onto Onryo. Kitten Kid would then walk the ropes and hit Onryo, sending him outside the ring as Kitten Kid would dive out onto him. Survival Tobita would then come in and go up against Jintaro, but Onryo would come over and throw powder in Tobita's face, and Jintaro would hit him with a backdrop to get the win. The Kitten Kid stuff here was the best part of the match, even though it was just the most basic of Lucha. Um, everything else was pretty much really bad, but I'm just happy to see Kitten Kid after all these years, so this was a win for me. Sadly, it's been five years and we have not gotten a Kitten Kid return since this. Super Battle FMW would hold another show at Shinjuku Face on June 25th. Can you go over the main event and who appeared afterwards? 
So the main event is Onida, Masato Tanaka, Hideki Osaka, and Riki Fuji taking on Wing Kanemura, Nosawa, Buffalo, and Monster Leather, and Monster Freddy in a barbed wire board street fight death match. Kanemura, he would end up hitting Onida with a barbed wire bat and then throw him into the barbed wire board. And then Monster Freddy and Monster Leather would suplex Onida into the barbed wire board. And then Tanaka would end up coming in and suplexing Monster Leather and Monster Freddy. And then Murakami would end up appearing and trying to send Onida into the barbed wire board, but he would end up reversing it and sending Murakami into it instead, followed by Onida Pop driving Murakami through a table and then finishing Nosawa off with a Thunderfire powerbomb to get the win. Afterwards, the Jason the Terrible Masked Wrestler would come to the ring, although he's much taller this time, but Onida would end up grabbing him and DDTing him and then taking the mask off to reveal it's Yoshihiro Takayama, who is now the newest member of the Wing Monster Army. Although, like I said, this is not the same person, or at least it did not look like the same person. He was not this tall last month, the guy coming to the ring under the Jason the Terrible Mask. Freedoms would have a show on June 25th as well, but in Shinkiba with the WMF team taking on Unchain. Can you go over this match as well as the main event? Yeah, so it's going to be Mr. Ganosuke teaming up with Mammoth, Sasaki, and Kamui, and they're going to take on the Unchained team of Junkasai, Masashi Takeda, and Kinji Fukimoto, so it's Unchained versus WMF in a hardcore match, with the WMF group jumping Unchained right at the start of the match. Ganosuke and Takeda, they would start off with Takeda charging at Ganosuke, but Ganosuke would end up sending him flying over the top, with Ganosuke going out as well, and then they would end up brawling outside the ring as Kasai would end up throwing Kamui into the wall of the building. Kasai and Kamui would end up getting back in the ring, but Kamui would end up hitting him with a Hurricane Rana, sending him outside the ring, and then hit an Asai Moonsault onto everybody. Fukimoto would then end up grabbing a ladder and charging at Kamui with it, but Ganosuke would end up coming over to help Kamui, and then Kasai and Takeda would end up coming over to help Fukimoto, until Mammoth would end up coming over and just overpowering everyone and shoving the Unchained team in the corner with the ladder. And then Ganosuke would end up hitting a praying powerbomb on Fukimoto on a stack of chairs, and then Kamui would climb up to the top of the ladder and deliver a Swanton dive off of it, but Fukimoto had managed to move out of the way, and then Takeda would end up coming in and hitting Kamui with a Yuranagi, followed by Kasai climbing up to the top and hitting a Pearl Harvest splash on him, and then Fukimoto would end up hitting a package pile driver on Kamui to get the win for Unchained. And then the main events would be Daisuke Masaaka taking on Yuya Suzumu. They would start outside the ring with Masaaka throwing Suzumu in the crowd, and then they would end up getting back in the ring bloody and begin striking one another, with Masaaka giving Suzumu a headbutt, and then Suzumu would end up sending Masaaka into the turnbuckle, but he would jump off of it and hit a drop kick, sending Suzumu to the outside, and then Masaaka would end up delivering an Asai Moonsault onto him. Masaaka would end up bringing him back in the ring, but Suzumu would grab Masaaka and place the cross arm breaker on him, and then try for a suplex, but Masaaka would get behind Suzumu and shove him into the referee, knocking him down. And then Masaaka would end up laying Suzumu out with a kick, but with no referee in sight, he would end up grabbing a bucket of thumbtacks and pour them over the, himself on the ramp of Shinkiba. But Suzumu would end up picking Masaaka up and just slamming him onto the thumbtacks. And then they would end up getting back in the ring, and Suzumu would end up putting on a sleeper on Masaaka and then finish him off with a falcon arrow to get the win. This was okay. Suzumu is getting a short-term push here as he's going to be challenging Takeda for the next title shot as Masaaka is still in the process of a long-term push, but he has no title shot in the near future. Mr. Ganesuke would challenge for the Guts World Championship on July 19th at the Shinjuku face against their champion Daisuke. Can you go over this match? 
Yeah, so Daisuke is the young ace for the Guts World promotion. He works a lot like Masato Tanaka, so this makes for a good dynamic against Mr. Ganesuke. They would start off by doing a lot of legwork before Ganesuke would begin to undo the turnbuckle pad, and then Ganesuke would end up trying to send Daisuke into the unprotected corner, but Daisuke would reverse it and send Ganesuke into it instead. But as Daisuke would charge at Ganesuke with an elbow, Ganesuke would move out of the way, and Daisuke would end up ramming his elbow into the unprotected corner. Ganesuke would take advantage of that by ramming Daisuke's shoulder into the unprotected corner and then working on his elbow. This is a smart strategy because, like I said, Daisuke wrestles a lot like Masato Tanaka and loves using his elbow. Daisuke would be in a lot of pain but still manage to deal with it and smash Ganesuke with his elbow to knock Ganesuke down. And then Ganesuke would then charge at Daisuke, but he would end up hitting the referee instead and knocking him out. And Daisuke would try for a rolling elbow, but Ganesuke would roll him up with the Ganesuke clutch, but with no referee to make the cover, Ganesuke can't get the pinfall. Daisuke would try to hit Ganesuke with a sliding D, but Ganesuke would end up catching him and delivering a running arm drag in a really cool looking spot. Daisuke would fight out of it and try for a falcon arrow, but Ganesuke would counter that and put Daisuke in a cross arm breaker with Daisuke breaking out by grabbing the ropes. Ganesuke would then nail a praying powerbomb and Daisuke would end up kicking out as the fans would start to really get into this match and then Ganesuke would try for a fire thunder, but Daisuke would manage to escape and nail Ganesuke with an elbow and then climb up to the top and hit what is now called an insane elbow drop on Ganesuke, but Ganesuke would manage to kick out. Daisuke would then run at Ganesuke who would end up catching him, but Daisuke would get behind him and nail Ganesuke with the German suplex to get the win. This match was really slow at the beginning with a lot of mat work, but that's just what Ganesuke is at this point, as he is an older, smarter worker. But the last part of this match really picked up like it was a Ganesuke going up against Masato Tanaka 15 years earlier match in the making with an excellent second half and Ganesuke putting over the younger star of the promotion here. Big Japan would run at Sumo Hall on July 20th. Can you go over the main event and what was the gimmicks included in this match? So Sumo Hall is going to be Big Japan's WrestleMania here for the next couple years with the Yokohama Bunka Gym Shows turning more into Royal Rumble and SummerSlam. Sumo Hall does not allow glass as a weapon though. So they're going to have to be a little more creative for this main event match with Abdullah Kobayashi defending the Big Japan Deathmatch title against Ryuji Ito as it's going to be a concrete block, syringe, saw, boards of nail, barbed wire, skewers, Kinzon, and Cactus Deathmatch. But thank God there's no glass involved. They would end up starting the match off going at it like sumo wrestlers with Kobayashi just throwing Ito out of the way. And then Ito would end up throwing Kobayashi into the barbed wire board and then take a Singapore cane and just begin beating the barbed wire board that Kobayashi was connected to with it. Ito would then take a concrete block and break it over Kobayashi's back with another block. And then Ito would begin giving elbow shots to Kobayashi. But Kobayashi would end up just sending Ito into the board of nails in the corner and then Kobayashi would take a barbed wire bat and begin cutting Ito's forehead with it. Kobayashi would then pull out a pogo-like blade and begin slicing Ito's forehead with it. Kobayashi would then grab a cactus, but Ito would end up taking the blade that was just used on him and cut up the cactus with it before placing the blade right into Kobayashi's forehead. Ito would then place Kobayashi on a table on the outside and dive off the top, sending Kobayashi through that table and then smash Kobayashi over the head with the broken table piece. And then Ito would place a skewer in Kobayashi's head and then Ito would end up stapling a skewer in Kobayashi's forehead and then 
for good measure, Ito would take a Kinzon and stick it in Kobayashi's head, but Kobayashi would come back and headbutt Ito and then stick a Kinzon in his head. They would end up finding salt and just begin pouring it over each other's cut up bodies, and then Ito would end up going for a moonsault but miss it, and then Kobayashi would end up hitting Ito with a shining wizard and then climb up a ladder and hit an elbow drop. Kobayashi would then try to slam Ito on a gadget board, but Ito would end up slamming him into it instead and then follow it up with a suplex on the spike nails and then place a ladder over Kobayashi and Ito would end up climbing up to the top and just diving off onto Kobayashi with Kobayashi still managing to kick out. Ito would then bring back the syringe, which I was fine never seeing again, and stick it through Kobayashi's mouth, and then finally finish Kobayashi off with the Dragon Splash to get the win, to win back the Big Japan Deathmatch title. This was something. It wasn't even really a match, it was more just them killing each other, as they did a lot of stuff here, but it's not something I would say was good, as the crowd was not that into it, save for a couple of Kobayashi chants towards the end. Kobayashi would end up putting the belt around Ito's waist, as the Ace of Big Japan wins the title back at their WrestleMania. Freedoms would hold a show at the Shinjuku Face for 24 hours wrestling on July 26th. Can you go over the main matches and what was 24-hour wrestling? So 24-hour wrestling was a concept where 12 different promotions would run shows consecutively at the Shinjuku Face. So this show would actually start at 2.30 in the morning and would go until 4.30 in the morning. This would also air on the new Nico Nico TV channel, which a lot of smaller independent promotions like Guts World and 666 have begun using as a way for more people to have access to watching their shows. The quality of the broadcasts are usually complete crap still to this day, but I guess it's something instead of expecting people to just follow the promotion by buying $20 to $30 DVDs every month. Mammoth and Kamui are going to defend their King of Freedom tag team titles here against Takashi, Sasaki, and Jintaro, and they would end up being jumped by Sasaki and Jintaro right away, and the match would end up going into the crowd. The Sasakis would end up going back in the ring and begin exchanging shots with one another, with Takashi ducking a Mammoth clothesline and then hitting one himself on Mammoth. They would then both tag out, and Kamui and Jintaro would go at it, with Kamui going up to the top, but Jintaro would end up getting up and hitting a double arm suplex off the top rope, but Jintaro would end up throwing Kamui into the ropes, and Kamui would come back with a hurricane and run it to him. Mammoth would then come in and deliver a leg drop to Jintaro and then take a chair and swing it at Takashi, but Takashi would duck it and then Jintaro would end up nailing the chair in Mammoth's face and then Kamui would end up coming off the top rope and hit Takashi with a flying drop kick and then go for a firebird splash, but Takashi would move out of the way and then hit Kamui with a clothesline and then finish Kamui off with a DJice to get the win. So Sasaki and Jintaro win the tag team titles here. This was literally just to be transition champions so that Takashi, Sasaki, and Jintaro would have now won the WEW Tag Team Titles, the DDT Tag Team Titles, the Big Japan Tag Team Titles, and now the Freedom Tag Team Titles. And then Masha C. Takeda is going to defend the King of Freedom World title against Yuya Suzumu here. Suzumu, he would work on Takeda's arm, including placing him in a cross arm breaker against the ropes and then locking it on again on the mat with Takeda having to grab the rope to break it. Suzumu would then begin laying kicks until Takeda would end up catching his leg and placing him in an ankle lock. And then Takeda would work on Suzumu until Suzumu, out of nowhere, would end up grabbing his arm again and place him in the cross arm breaker with Takeda having to grab the ropes. Suzumu would then put Takeda in a sleeper with Takeda having to overpower him and to break out of it, and then they would begin exchanging shops with one another, with Takeda getting the better end of it and then delivering a knee, but as he would charge at Suzumu, he'd be met by a Hurricane Rana, and then Suzumu would again put the cross arm breaker on Takeda, with Takeda managing to reverse it and then place Suzumu in an ankle lock, which would get Suzumu to tap out as Takeda would successfully defend the title here. The last little sprint here that they did was fun, but this match was way too submission based for it being four in the morning.
Jun Kasai would promote a deathmatch show in Hiroshima on August 2nd with a main event of another no-canvas deathmatch. Can you go over this match as well as the other top deathmatch on the show? Yes, yeah, so Violento Jack is coming back for his annual tour to Japan um, from Mexico, and he's bringing in another DDT wrestler, Ciclope, here. And they're going to go up against the Brahmin Brothers here in a Homeless Man Deathmatch, with the Brahmin Brothers jumping Ciclope and Jack right at the start. The Brahmin Brothers would focus on double-teaming Ciclope until he would make the hot tag into Jack, but one of the Brahmin Brothers would grab Jack, and as the other would go up to the top, he would be met with water spit in his face by Ciclope, as Jack would then pick up both Brahmin Brothers on his shoulder, and they would both manage to get down and shove him towards the turnbuckle, but he would stop himself just short and lift Ciclope in the air to drop kick them. Jack would then try to hit a package pile driver on one of the Brahmin brothers, but the other one would come over and pour water in Jack's face as they would roll him up with the nobody's perfect with Jack kicking out. Shu would then try to throw powder in Jack's face, but Jack would move out of the way and Shu would end up accidentally throwing it in Key's face, and then Jack would end up grabbing Key and finishing him off with a package pile driver for the win. And then the main events can be Jun Kasai and Masha Takeda to taking on Takashi Sasaki and Yuko Miyamoto in a no-canvas fluorescent light tubes deathmatch. Takeda and Sasaki, they would start off trying to hit each other with light tubes, but Sasaki would end up grabbing Takeda's light tube and hit him over the head with both those light tubes. Miyamoto would then go up against Kasai, but Kasai would end up sending Miyamoto into the ropes with Miyamoto coming back and hitting Kasai with his handspring elbow, and then Miyamoto would go up to the top with a light tube, but Kasai would come over and pick Miyamoto up and send him face first into the light tubes in the corner, and then Kasai and Takeda would begin taking apart the wooden panels out of the ring as Kasai would try to hit a reverse tiger driver on Sasaki into the hole, but Miyamoto would come over and hit Kasai over the head with the light tube, and then Sasaki would pick Kasai up and hit a DJ's through the hole as Takeda would try to spear Miyamoto into the hole, but Miyamoto would block him and then powerbomb Takeda, and then Sasaki would try to get up and suplex Takeda on the wooden canvas, with Miyamoto hitting a Phoenix Centon and covering Takeda, but Takeda would manage to kick out. Sasaki and Miyamoto would then try to suplex Takeda into the hole, but he would manage to reverse it and suplex them. Sai would come out from under the hole with light tubes in the shape of a cross, and would break them over Miyamoto's head. Takeda would then spear Miyamoto, which would be an awkward fall into the hole for both of them. And then Kasai would slam Sasaki and go for a Pearl Harbor splash, with Sasaki moving out of the way. And then Sasaki would take a stack of light tubes and place them over Kasai and kick them, breaking them over Kasai. But Kasai would still manage to kick out. And then Sasaki would manage to finish Kasai off with the DJs for the win. This was the definition of a match that nothing happened for the first half of it, but it really picked up a lot towards the second half. I would still say it's a step below the May Corrigan Hall main of it, but these guys can probably always put on at least a really good 10-minute sprint to end a match, and this was no exception. Big Japan would hold a 15th anniversary show for Ryuji Ito and Daisuke Sakamoto on August 16th at Corrigan Hall, with them having a death match in the main event of the show. Can you go over this match for everybody? Yeah, so this is a special match for both Ito and Sekimoto, as they both made their debut in Big Japan the same year, so they're both connected with one another, even though they both have completely different wrestling styles. Um, this is also going to be a fluorescent light tubes deathmatch, and it's Sekimoto's first time having a deathmatch in a long time, several years. And the crowd right away is into this match, as Ito would end up throwing Sekimoto into the fluorescent light tubes, and then Ito would smash a chair over Sekimoto's back. But when he would go to slam Sekimoto, Sekimoto would escape, 
escape and slam Ito onto the chair instead, and then Ito would end up placing some light tubes on Sekimoto's back and kicking them and breaking them across Sekimoto's back and following that up by hitting a moonsault on Sekimoto. Ito would then throw Sekimoto in the corner, but he would be met with a boot to the face from Sekimoto, and then Sekimoto would end up spearing Ito and putting him in a torture rack before Ito would manage to escape and get behind Sekimoto, but he would end up getting hit with a clothesline. And then Sekimoto would go for a German suplex, but Ito would again manage to escape and hit a German suplex on Sekimoto instead. And then Ito would place a stack of light tubes and hit a dragon splash, but Sekimoto would get up at one and then hit Ito with a brain buster, but Ito would kick out at one as well. Sekimoto would then pick Ito up and send him flying headfirst into the turnbuckle and then hit a German suplex onto him. The crowd would begin going crazy at this point as Ito would then begin kicking Sekimoto, but then get nailed with another clothesline, and then Sekimoto Sekimoto would go up to the top, but Ito would grab a stack of light tubes and just smash them over Sekimoto's head, and then suplex him off the top on a stack of chairs. They would begin exchanging strikes with one another before Sekimoto would just headbutt Ito, and then Ito would just punch Sekimoto and hit a dragon suplex on him, and then place a stack of light tubes and finish Sekimoto off with a dragon splash, breaking the light tubes over him to get the win. This was a really good match as the crowd was super into seeing Sekimoto wrestle in a death match. So this was definitely a successful return to the deathmatch world for Sekimoto here. Hayabusa would appear on a national television show on August 23rd. Can you go over everything that had to do with this famous appearance? Yeah, so Hayabusa is going to appear on the 24-hour telethon called 24 Hours, which airs on Nippon TV, which is the number one TV channel in Japan, where they do these stories on individuals overcoming their physical and mental handicaps, and they're going to do a segment here on Hayabusa, and it would start with the host interviewing Hayabusa at the Kushizaru restaurant, which is near his home, and then they would show clips of Hayabusa wrestling, as well as show younger pictures of him that they actually would take off my biography on my website. They then would go to show his accident all although before the actual accident would occur, they would go to gray and freeze the frame. They then would have an actor portraying Hayabusa in a neck brace at the hospital and go back to Hayabusa being interviewed as he began to cry talking about what life was like living in a hospital unable to move. They then would have an actor portraying Fuyuki coming into the hospital room after he had just left his hospital from feeling sick from his cancer where he would tell Hayabusa that he only had six months to live with the cancer but that Hayabusa had a chance and to not lose hope. Hayabusa feels that those words Fuyuki gave him really gave him hope to go on. This plays up Fuyuki really well here, but of course this is ignoring the fact that Fuyuki actually came in because he wanted to know if Ganosuke had persuaded Hayabusa to go back on his word of joining Fuyuki's WEW promotion after FNW closed and before Ganosuke had actually created his WMF promotion, with Hayabusa changing his mind and deciding to go to Ganosuke's WMF instead. Hayabusa really did like Fuyuki though, as I remember him talking to me about Fuyuki and he just said to me, you know everybody hates Fuyuki, but he was a really good guy and I liked him. And I imagine and Fuyuki really did give him hope with that talk. But Fuyuki wasn't just coming in to give Hayabusa hope in the middle of the night at a hospital after Hayabusa had gone back on his word to help Fuyuki's promotion. And actually, Hayabusa could not say anything to Fuyuki after Fuyuki brought up the topic. Then uh, Hayabusa would talk about Fuyuki dying, and then they would show clips of Hayabusa living his life at his apartment, including brushing his teeth and on his bicycle wheelchair that he had just gotten in the past year. 
They then would go to a taped segment back on August 5th, so two weeks earlier, at Corgan Hall, where they would have Hayabusa's theme song begin to play, and you have Tatsumi Fujinami, Tenru, Kita Kobashi, Mema Sasaki, Dragon Kid, Mr. Ganosuke, Kichimuto, Hayabusa's daughters Ayan and Shi, as well as all these other Hayabusa fans cheering on as Hayabusa would stand up from his wheelchair and walk to the ring and walk up the stairs into the ring of Corrigan. They also would show where everyone has written on the steps messages to Hayabusa, and then they have a box on the screen of the host watching and crying as Hayabusa would walk up the stairs with Mema Sasaki right behind him and Mr. Ganosuke holding up the ropes for Hayabusa to go into the ring. Quick story, I actually watched this live, but the next day I found it on YouTube, and about a week later I ended up posting it on my website, and I think someone found it on my website and gave it to Dave Meltzer, who ended up posting it on the Wrestling Observer website. After he did that, this clip blew up. It went from a couple hundred people having seen it to hundreds of thousands of people the very next day after Dave ended up posting about it. Many people seeing it thought that this was the first time Hayabusa was actually walking, as he had actually taken his first steps at Corrigan Hall back in 2002, but this was more similar to Hayabusa coming into the ring in 2011, although he definitely has improved a lot since then as he needed a lot of help four years earlier the first time he walked into the ring at Corrigan as he ended up just needing a cane to be able to walk upstairs this time which was a big hurdle for him as he had commented many times that there were so many places in Japan that you needed steps to be able to climb up to to get into and Hayabusa just simply couldn't go to it as a result. Everyone that saw this clip thought it was great and very emotional seeing Hayabusa walk into the ring at Corrigan Hall, but then things would get a little murky. As Hayabusa is standing in the ring, they would have Jinsei Shinzaki, who is Hayabusa's best friend, begin ringing a bell for Hayabusa as he's standing there as if this is his retirement ceremony and he's getting a 10-bell salute after you retire. And I'll talk about that more here in a second. Hayabusa would then thank everyone for being there for him and they would go back live to Budokan Hall where Hayabusa is on stage with the host and he ends up talking with them and they would begin singing a very happy, positive song to end the segment. So all is good, you would think, right? Well, after this show aired, Hayabusa would go straight to his blog and mention that the Tim Bell salute was not him retiring, so please don't get it confused. He would state that it was more of a symbol of a fresh start, and it was more for the emotion of the television show. Hayabusa had worked really hard on getting to a point where he could put on his Hayabusa attire and walk to the ring and be introduced one last time in an actual retirement ceremony that he would make a lot of money off of. So the thought of this being his retirement ceremony and him not making that much money made him quickly try and erase any thought of this being a retirement. Then you have years later Mr. Ganesuke being asked about this show and Hayabusa being on it and he would just go off on it calling it terrible. Ganesuke would say that they use and force handicapped performers to do exactly what they want. Ganesuke said that they wanted Hayabusa to be dressed up in his Hayabusa costume for this and for this to be his actual retirement from pro wrestling but Hayabusa refused since like I said he'd be losing out on a lot of money and this would be not as special to him. He did say that Hayabusa agreed to walk to the ring but the network edited in the Tin Bell retirement ceremony with Hayabusa not even knowing they were going to do that. Ganosuke would end up getting a lot of blowback from what he was saying from people because in theory the show is for a good cause but Ganosuke did not pull back and stated it was a negative experience that Hayabusa went through the last stage of his life. Now the one thing I am confused about is if Hayabusa did not know about the Tin Bell retirement salute that they were going to do and that they added it in, how did they get Shinsaki who Hayabusa has told me was his best friend? friend in wrestling to actually ring the bell despite it being something Hayabusa did not want to take place. This did get Hayabusa a lot of attention in what turned out to be the end of his life, but if what Ganesuke was saying is true, then it completely taints any good that came from it, sadly. 
Super Battle FMW would run at the Shinjuku Face again on August 24th, but there would be a big change for this promotion prior to the show. Can you talk about this change and the main event? So before the show, they would announce that Super Battle FMW has found a new owner in the company in Yoshiyuki Yamakon, and he's going to be able to take this promotion and have them run Corrigan Hall regularly. So this is a big step in the promotion becoming a legitimate one. This show is Onita's 40th anniversary, and it would be the first show for this new management. Although more money is going into the company, there's a first bad sign into this new company, as they would lead the fans on to believe that Tarzan Goto would be appearing on this show as a mystery partner for Onita's team and they would double the price for the tickets as a result making you think that you're going to pay extra to see Tarzan Goto team up with Onita. Well, the mystery partner would be revealed. It was not Tarzan Goto. It's Ricky Fuji. So Onita's going to team up with Masato Tanaka, Hideki Osaka, and Ricky Fuji. And they're going to take on Kanemura, Nosawa, Monster Freddy, and Monster Leather. But Ichiro Yukuchi, he would come out with the Monster Leather face mask, revealing that he was Monster Leather to the fans. And now he's going to go by his new ring name, Raijin Yukuchi, going forward. Whereas Tomihiko Hashimoto, who had been Monster Freddy, he would just come out as himself. The FMW team would end up getting the win over the Wing Monster Army after Onita would end up once again pinning Nosawa. Afterwards, the Wing Monster Army would end up attacking Onita and the FMW team, and Yaguchi would end up getting on the mic and proclaiming that the reason that Tarzan Goto did not show up on the show today was because he would not be teaming up with the FMW team, and that he was really going to be teaming up with the Wing Monster Army team, although that would never end up happening either. Jun Kasai would promote his annual Deathmatch Carnival on August 28th at Corrigan Hall. Can you go over the top matches and how this show did? So they would announce a crowd of 1,157 fans for this show, which is the second biggest attended Freedom's Corrigan Hall show, surpassing last year's Deathmatch Carnival show back in September by about 40 fans, although it did not reach uh, the biggest number, which was back at the very first Freedom's Corrigan Hall show in June 2010. But the fact that this show did so well shows that this Deathmatch Carnival, the show that's usually in August, September, is a draw by itself regardless of the card, because this card isn't anything much better than the show back in May that didn't do that well, but because, hey, fans are accustomed to this August Deathmatch show always being awesome, the Deathmatch tournament all these years got people into, hey, this is a show I can't miss, and even without the Deathmatch tournament taking place this year, fans are still, hey, that August show, I can't miss it, I gotta go to it, no matter what is on the card. So, on this show, Mr. Ganesuke, he's going to team up with Daisuke Masaaka and Kamui, and they're going to take on the team of Jintaro, the winger, and Toru Sugawara in a street fight, and all six would instantly begin brawling all over ringside, with Kamui and Sugawara fighting on the stage at Corrigan, and Kamui would end up knocking Sugawara off of it, and then hitting an Asai Moonsault onto him. They would eventually all begin brawling in the crowd, with Masaaka climbing up to the top of the entrance and do a dive onto everybody, and then Ganesuke would end up bringing the winger back in the ring and going straight to putting him in a scorpion death lock with Jintaro having to make the save and then Ganosuke would eventually end up climbing up to the top and hitting a flying drop kick on Sugawara and then hit a falcon arrow followed by a praying powerbomb on him. Kamui would then grab Sugawara and hit a hurricane rana on him and then that would be followed by Masaaka going up to the top and splashing him but Jintaro would come over and hit Masaaka with a backdrop suplex and then Sugawara would begin giving repeated headbutts to Masaaka and then nail him with a fisherman driver to get the win. This is going to be the last time that Mr. Ganosuke is a regular attending Freedom Shows every 
month. He would come back in January for one more show, and then after that, it would be another two plus years before Ganesuke would work freedom. So he's going to just be a Guts World uh, regular here going forward. And like I said, just do some random shots here and there. And then Takashi Sasaki is going to take on Yuko Miyamoto in a fluorescent light tubes deathmatch. They would take turns sending each other into the light tubes early on, with Sasaki getting the better end of it, and then using a light tube to cut open Miyamoto. Sasaki would then throw Miyamoto into the corner and just begin breaking light tubes with kicks over his chest before just grabbing some and just chucking them at Miyamoto, which would get the crowd really hot before finishing it off by breaking more light tubes over Miyamoto with a kick, and then Miyamoto would come back and get Sasaki in the corner and start kicking the light tubes, breaking them across Sasaki, with Sasaki just getting right in Miyamoto's face, and they would just start slapping one another before Miyamoto would end up hitting Sasaki with a Thunderfire powerbomb, and then trying for a moonsault to break more light tubes over Sasaki, but Sasaki would end up moving out of the way and then grab the light tubes and break them with another kick before going back to more slaps that would turn into strikes that would turn into exchanging lariats and then Sasaki would end up placing another light tube over Miyamoto's head and breaking it with a kick with Sasaki covering Miyamoto but Miyamoto would manage to kick out and the crowd would begin going crazy here. Sasaki would go for a DJ's on a light tube but Miyamoto would escape and hit a fire thunder on Sasaki on a light tube and then they would both get up with Miyamoto out of nowhere rolling Sasaki up with a Ganesuke clutch and then a fire thunder before finishing Sasaki off with a moonsault. The crowd was so hot for this match, but at this point, I'm just tired of the light tubes as I feel like I have described this match a hundred times here since doing this show, but they were doing something right because there were so many fans in attendance for this show that were eating every second of this up. And then Jun Kasai is going to take on Pay in a fluorescent light tube board razor cross board deathmatch. Kasai early on would end up shoving Pay into the light tube board and it would fail to break anything. So Kasai would try again this time, clotheslining Pay into it and it would break some of the light tubes. And then he would end up taking some of the light tubes and breaking them across Pay's back with a chair as Pay's back would be covered in blood. Kasai would then throw Pay towards the razor cross board, but he would stop just short and when Kasai would charge at him, Pay would move out of the way and Kasai would run into it head first. Cyclopay would then end up tripping Kasai with a drop toe hold and then deliver a curb stop to Kasai with his face going into the razors and then Cyclopay would end up nailing Kasai with a chair followed by hitting a power bomb on Kasai into the razor cross board. Kasai would eventually manage to come back and hit a lariat and then pull out a ladder with knives attached to it but Cyclopay would end up suplexing Kasai back first into the knives with one of them cutting Kasai really deep on his shoulder in a really gruesome looking spot. Pay would then take the ladder with knives on it and drop it across Kasai's stomach, which knowing what one of the knives just did to Kasai's shoulder, I would have been scared to death waiting for that to drop on me. And then Pay would end up taking a light tube and coming crashing down on Kasai with Kasai managing to kick out. And then the crowd would begin chanting for Kasai here as Pay would end up hitting an implanter DDT, sending Kasai headfirst into a light tube. Pay would then try for a frog splash, but Kasai would move out of the way and then ram him into a razor cross board and then hit a reverse Tiger Driver, followed by a Pearl Harbor splash, but Pay would manage to kick out, and then Kasai would begin going crazy at Pay for kicking out, and Kasai would end up hitting a reverse Tiger Driver on the ladder with knives on it to get the win, so Kasai ends up picking up the win here, and afterwards Masaaka and Kamui, they would rush to the ring to check on Kasai's back, with him telling them that he was okay, as the crowd would be chanting for Kasai really loud here, as this match was so much better than the previous match, 
And Kasai had to get cut so deep in the back just to get a similar reaction to what Sasaki and Miyamoto got in a nothing match compared to this. And then the main event's gonna be Masa C. Takeda taking on Violento Jack in a glass board death match for the King of Freedom World Championship. Takeda to show that he was ready would grab a box with glass in it and just dump it all over the ring and then fall back into it. And then they would start off with Takeda sending Jack toward the glass board in the corner, but he would stop himself just short and when Takeda would charge at him, he would end up jumping over Takeda and lifting Takeda up and running him into the other glass board in the corner, breaking it over Takeda's back. Jack would then pull out a blade and just run it across Takeda's forehead as blood would begin to run down his face and then he would end up throwing him out of the ring. Jack would then take a Corona beer glass bottle and break it over the turnbuckle on the outside and begin stabbing Takeda with it. And then Jack would throw Takeda in the ring and go to hit him with the bottle, but Takeda would duck it and then grab the bottle from him and hit Jack over the head with it instead. They would begin exchanging strikes with one another, but Jack would end up hitting a lariat to Takeda and then begin setting up chairs outside the ring and then place the other glass board on top of the chairs as the two would begin striking one another on the apron when Jack would try to hit a package pile driver on Takeda off the apron through the glass board, but Takeda would manage to block it and then suplex Jack off the apron through the glass board in a really cool looking spot. Takeda and Jack would then end up getting back in the ring and Jack would actually be the one to get the near pinfall even though he had just been thrown through a glass board as he would end up hitting Takeda with the package pile driver with Takeda managing to kick out. Jack would then place a ladder over Takeda and go up to the top but Takeda would get up and then hit a reverse DDT off the top rope. Takeda and Jack would then begin exchanging strikes with one another with Jack picking Takeda up and dropping him on his knees which would send Takeda out of the ring and then Jack would end up hitting a tope on Takeda and then Jack would end up bringing Takeda back in the ring and they would begin exchanging slaps to one another with Takeda giving Jack an elbow and then placing a stack of light tubes on Jack and delivering a knee into them, breaking them over Jack's face. And then Takeda would end up finishing Jack with a U-Crash to get the win to successfully defend the King of Freedom world title. Another really good match, although not as good as Kasai's Sikapay that had just happened. But the fans would be chanting for Takeda afterwards, as this show is one of the peaks of freedoms, with having such a crowded Corrigan Hall that was hot for what they saw. Big Japan would run their second Deathmatch Mania show in Nagoya on August 30th with Ryuji Ito defending the Big Japan Deathmatch title against Yuko Miyamoto. Can you go over this match and what was the gimmick of it? So I mentioned last episode how Big Japan would begin doing a big show, but not quite the level of a Yokohama Bunker Gym show, but bigger than Corrigan Hall in Nagoya every year at the end of August called Deathmatch Mania, with the Deathmatch title on the line. And this show is going to have Ryuji Ito taking on Yuko Miyamoto in a scaffold light tubes deathmatch. Miyamoto, he would tell Ito to start the match off on the scaffold, and Ito would oblige as they would both climb it up to start the match. They would try knocking one another off of it until both would end up just falling off the scaffold. Ito would end up sending Miyamoto into the light tubes set up on the ropes and then break a stack of light tubes across Miyamoto's back and then use a broken light tube to cut open Miyamoto. Miyamoto would then gain control of the match and just begin headbutting light tubes across Ito's head and then Miyamoto would begin kicking light tubes breaking them over Ito and then send him into the ropes. Miyamoto would then charge in the corner but Ito would move out of the way and put Miyamoto in a tarantula and then deliver a flying drop kick and then Ito would end up sending Miyamoto into the 
ropes, but he would end up hitting his anspring elbow and deliver a running drop kick in the corner, and then Miyamoto would bring Ito up the scaffold and try and slam him off of it, but Ito would counter and hit a half Nelson suplex on the scaffold. Miyamoto would then end up hitting Ito with a face buster, with Ito falling off the scaffold, and then Miyamoto would end up hitting a running drop kick off the scaffold onto Ito in the corner, and then Miyamoto would try for a fire thunder, but Ito would manage to escape and hit a German suplex to Miyamoto. Ito would then place a stack of light tubes on Miyamoto and hit a dragon splash, but Miyamoto would get up right away and roll Ito up with a Ganesuke clutch and then hit a fire thunder on him, and then Miyamoto would climb up the scaffold and hit a moonsault off of it with Ito still managing to kick out. They would then both get up and begin striking one another with Ito laying Miyamoto out with a punch and then suplex him and then he would grab a chair and just throw it at Miyamoto's face and then Ito would climb up the scaffold and dive off of it and get the win over Miyamoto. This was just a spot-to-spot-to-spot match, which could have been okay if not for, again, Big Japan dealing with the lack of crowd reaction to what they were seeing in anything other than Corrigan Hall at this point. Ito successfully defends the Big Japan Deathmatch title here and gets his win back after losing the title the previous year to Miyamoto. Freedoms would have a show at Shinkiba on September 10th and bring back a previous Deathmatch stipulation that was really popular. Can you go over what the stipulation was and what took place in the match? So back in August, they had Kamui and Daisuke Masaaka win the King of Freedom Tag Team titles. Well, here they're going to defend the titles against Toru Sugawara and someone called Sugawara the Great, who's wearing a gimp mask, who was never seen again after this, so I'm just going to refer to him as gimp during this match to prevent any confusion. And this is going to be a vehicle death match where the car has already been placed outside of the ring inside Shinkiba. So this goes back to 2009 where Kamui had brought in his car and used it in a match against Masada, which had become a big time cult favorite in Freedoms as they had pretty much destroyed each other on top of the car doing all these different bumps. And Kamui had brought in his new vehicle after that a couple times, but this is the first time that this type of match is being advertised as the main event of a show. And this show ended up doing pretty well as a result as they would announce 228 fans for this show, which was also at the same time during a huge storm that was going on in Tokyo. So the fans really wanted to see people go into a car. The car placed outside the ring would be Toru Sugawara's vehicle, and Masaaka and Kamui, they would rush right into the car at the start of the match and just begin destroying it like it was a bonus stage on Street Fighter 2, including Kamui hitting it with a chain and Masaaka throwing a chair at it. Sugawara would pull out a chain from the back of his vehicle and begin using it on Masaaka before pulling out his shoe and just shoving it in Masaaka's face. Sugawara would then grab a barbed wire bat and go for Masaaka, who would end up moving out of the way as Sugawara would end up hitting his vehicle accidentally. Masaaka would then go into Sugawara's car and find a porn DVD and end up snitching on Sugawara's wife who is working at a merchandise table at ringside as she would slap Sugawara in the face, followed by Kamui hitting a Sugawara over the head with the DVD case. A lot of just Masaaka and Kamui double teaming Sugawara as the gimp would be nowhere to be found until they would end up duct taping Sugawara to the ring post and just begin destroying his car until the gimp would show up and try to make the save by going after with a barbed wire bat, but he would end up missing and accidentally hitting Sugawara's car as well. Sugawara would manage to break out of the duct tape, and he would end up going after Masaaka, and, and they would end up getting back in the ring, but Masaaka would end up knocking Sugawara out and hitting an Asai Moonsaw onto him, as Kamui would end up getting in Sugawara's car, and Masaaka would end up holding onto Sugawara, as time would just stand still for Kamui to finally manage to turn Sugawara's car on, and by the time he would get it moving, Sugawara would manage to reverse it and send Masaaka into the 
moving vehicle that's going about two miles per hour. Sugawara would then end up getting in his car and Kamui would end up grabbing a cinder block and just throw it right at the windshield and thank god they knew it wouldn't break through the windshield as that would have probably killed Sugawara. Sugawara would get out of the car and end up power bombing Kamui onto the windshield and then throw him into the side window. They would end up getting back in the ring with Kamui having no ill effect of what just happened after being thrown through a windshield and would end up hitting Sugawara with a Hurricane Rana followed by Masaaka coming off the top with a splash as Kamui would end up getting in the car again and begin driving it close to the ring to allow Masaaka to get on top of the roof with Sugawara when the Gip would end up coming over and picking Masaaka up and delivering a Death Valley bomb onto Masaaka. Kamui would then Kamui would then bring in a scaffold right next to the car but as Kamui would begin climbing it, Sugawara would grab him and suplex him onto the roof and cover him and get a two count. Kamui and Sugawara would then begin fighting on the car with Kamui delivering a falcon arrow on the roof and then Kamui would climb up the scaffold again and dive off of it and get the win over Sugawara. This was a mess. They tried their best to redo the Kamui-Masada match with a lot of the same spots but this did not feel natural. A lot happened here but it was just all over the place. They wanted to focus on the car but they knew they could not have an entire match around the car so they kept going back into the ring and having a regular match before just going back to the car. Then you have Kamui getting powerbombed in into a windshield of a car and being fine just moments later which I feel like if I was powerbombed into a windshield I could not just no sell that even if I wanted to. They would do some more car spots in a couple years after this but this is the last time it was a main event drawing point for a show even though like I said the gimmick itself drew really well for this show. Gasaku would promote his own show on September 20th in Aomori with Mr. Ganesuke on the show. Can you go over what took place on this show? So Occupation of the Indies would do a feature on this show with Mr. Ganesuke helping Gasaku set up the ring in this lot area. Gasaku, who hasn't ever really been good, but was always willing to kill himself in matches, had been dealing with alcohol issues, and was looking to kind of get his life started back up. So Ganesuke, who had been a longtime friend of his since their dojo days, was willing to help him out on this small show. So the main event's going to be Mr. Ganesuke and Gusty Ishijima taking on Gasaku and the mass Takamaru, who is a mass bird. Ganesuke and Ishijima, they would work on Takamaru before Ishijima would try to hit a powerbomb on him and Takamaru would end up rolling him up with a Hurricane Rana and then tagging Gasaku who would end up clotheslining both Ganesuke and Ishijima. Gasaku and Ganesuke they would begin exchanging chops with one another with Ganesuke just kicking him low and then Ishijima and Gasaku would face off with Ishijima kicking Gasaku low and then rolling him up with the Samson Clutch to get the win. G and then after this, Ganesuke Ishijima and now Miss Mongol, they're going to go up against Gasaku alone, I guess for fun. Ishijima, he would end up kicking Gasaku low and then rolling him up with the Samson Clutch again, but this time Gasaku would end up kicking out and then choke slamming Ganesuke and Mongol and then finishing Ishijima off with a choke bomb to get the win to make the kids in attendance in the crowd happy, I guess. Super Battle FMW would hold another show on September 24th at Shinjuku Face with a surprise appearance from Mr. Pogo. Can you go over what happened and what did Mr. Pogo do? So on this show, the main event would be Nosawa, Yaguchi, Hashimoto, and Taru defeating Onita, Masato Tanaka, Hideki Osaka, and Miki Fuji after Yaguchi would end up pinning Hosaka in a barbed wire board street fight death match. And then afterwards, Mr. Pogo, who has a difficult time walking at this point after a botched surgery, would be sitting down at a table with the Wing Monster Army team coming over to him as Pogo would get on the mic and begin to mock Onita for losing. And, and Pogo would end up telling Onita that he wanted to have a match against Onita at Kawasaki Stadium on May 5th, 2016 in an explosion match, which obviously never would end up happening. A group called Tokyo Extreme Battle would hold a show at Shinkiba on September 28th. 
Can you talk about the main event of the show and what was Tokyo Battle Extreme? So I talked about it last episode how Freedoms had pulled away from Big Japan. Freedoms for the first couple years of their existence had worked with Big Japan because they didn't want to be a deathmatch promotion except for a special occasion. Well, when those special occasions kept drawing so much better than the non-deathmatch shows, they decided that they had to go the deathmatch route. And as a result, they decided to no longer have any Freedoms guys work for Big Japan any longer to give the fans reason to go to a Freedoms show instead of a Big Japan if they wanted to see someone like Junkasai wrestle exclusively. Well, it's been over a year at this point since they stopped working together, although they'd always been on good terms with one another. Well, a sponsor had decided that he wanted to see a co-freedoms in Big Japan's show. So the main event of this Tokyo Extreme battle is going to be the Big Japan team of Ryuji Ito and Jackie Numazawa taking on the freedoms team of Junkasai and Daisuke Masaaka in a glassboard deathmatch. The match would start with Masaaka and Ito going at it with one another, with Masaaka sending Ito out of the ring and then hitting a topek on Hilo onto him, and then Kasai and Numazawa would get in the ring and they would face off with the fans chanting for Kasai as Numazawa would give them the middle finger for that. They would end up slapping each other in the face before Numazawa would end up charging at Kasai and being met with a clothesline, and then Masaaka would come over to help and charge at Numazawa, but Numazawa would just end up pushing him into the first glass board and that would end up knocking Kasai down. Ito would then come in and begin shoving Masaaka's forehead into the broken glass. Masaaka quickly becomes a bloody mess, and then Numazawa would set up the other glass board against the turnbuckle and pick Masaaka up on his shoulders, but he would end up getting away and then drop kicking Numazawa into the other glass board. Both would end up tagging out, and Ito and Kasai would then face off against one another, as they have not touched in years at this point, so the crowd is hot for this. They would go straight into striking one another, with Kasai knocking Ito down with a clothesline, and then Kasai would end up grabbing a light tube, but Ito would end up hitting him in the stomach and then kicking the light Light tube breaking it over Kasai's head as Numazawa would come into the ring with light tubes and rush right into Kasai and kind of break them over Kasai, but Kasai would not be faced by this at all and hit a clothesline and then a reverse tiger driver be tagging in Masaaka who would end up nailing Numazawa with a flying drop kick. Kasai would then pull out at the knives board ladder and give it to Masaaka who would end up dropping it over Numazawa and then Kasai would end up taking a knife and cut his chest and go for a reverse tiger driver on Numazawa, but Numazawa would flip Kasai over onto the knives and then tag in Ito, and Masaaka would end up coming in and grabbing a bucket of thumbtacks and drop it over himself, and then drop Ito onto them as Kasai would end up hitting a Pearl Harbor splash, followed by a splash from Masaaka, with Numazawa having to make an awkward looking save for Ito. Masaaka would then go to knee the ladder right into Ito, but Ito would end up just getting up and throw the ladder right into Masaaka's face, and then Ito would then place a stack of light tubes and break them over Masaaka with a dragon splash, but Kasai would manage to make the save. Numazawa would then end up hitting Kasai with a clothesline, and then Numazawa Masaaka would end up hitting Masaaka with a last ride powerbomb as Ito would end up coming off the top with a dragon splash on Masaaka to get the win. This was really good for what it was. The crowd was really into it because they had not seen Kasai against these guys in a couple years. So overall, a good match. Kasai would end up heading out upset over the loss as the Kasai and Numazawa friendship seems to be broken now. Freedoms would return to Iwate on October 4th. Can you go over how this show did and who was the big draw for it? So Freedoms runs this building in the fall every year, and they always bring a big star, with them peaking in 2012 by bringing in Riki Choshu and Tatsumi Fujinami. Well, in 2014, they only brought in Yoshihiro Takayama, and they did about half of what they had done in 2012 as a result. Well, this year, the big star they're bringing in is Tenru, as Tenru is going to be retiring the following month, and they would announce a crowd of 753 fans, which was better than they had done the previous year, but still on the lower side of the previous times in this building. And the main event here is going to be Takashi Sasaki, 
Kawasaki and Yuko Miyamoto taking on Tenru and Junkasai. And Miyamoto, he would start off by facing off against Tenru and just begin punching and chopping him, which would only get him punched and chopped by Tenru as a result. They would both tag out and Kasai and Sasaki would come in. They would begin exchanging chops with one another before Kasai would end up taking Sasaki on the ramp and pile drive him on it before tagging Tenru back in, who would just come in and begin chopping and punching Sasaki. Sasaki would exchange chops with Tenru, and of course Tenru's gonna get the better end of that fight. Miyamoto and Kasai would get tagged back in, as Kasai would end up throwing Miyamoto into the ropes with him doing his handspring elbow and putting Kasai in an ankle lock. Kasai would manage to escape from the ankle lock and tag Tenru back in, who would continue to chop and punch Sasaki until Sasaki had had enough of it and would go to the outside and grab a stack of light tubes, but Tenru would end up just punching him and then going over and putting on Kasai's goggles that he would always use when doing a Pearl Harbor splash and then smash the light tube over Sasaki's head. But Sasaki would no-sell getting hit over the head with the light tubes and just begin striking Tenru, making Kasai come in and they would begin exchanging strikes until Kasai would end up hitting Sasaki with a reverse Tiger Driver and then he would go for a Pearl Harbor splash but Sasaki would move out of the way and then Sasaki would end up hitting Kasai with a powerbomb with Tenru having to make the save but then Miyamoto would come over and hit a moonsault on Kasai followed by Sasaki hitting a DJist on Kasai to get the win. The light tube spot was fun and creative but they were all going about half speed for this match. Kasai would be presented with ceremonial flowers to give to Tenru for his upcoming retirement after the match but being upset that he had just lost he would begin attacking Tenru with the flowers instead before having to be removed from the ring. Sasaki and Miyamoto would respect Tenru though as they would end up bowing while he would end up leaving the ring. Nosawa would hold an ECW reunion show on October 10th in Shinkiba. Can you go over the top two matches on this show? So on this show, Asushi Onida is going to team up with Hideki Osaka and Kai, who wrestles for Wrestle 1 and is a big Onida fan. They're going to take on Kentaro Kanemura, Buffalo, and Mitsunobu Kikuzawa, who is Kikutaro without the mask. Onida, he would end up going after Kanemura right away and taking him into the crowd before getting back in the ring and smashing him in the head with the chair. And then Buffalo would come over and go after Onida while Kanemura would set up the barbed wire board and they would end up throwing Onida into the barbed wire board. Kai and Osaka would come over and help set up a table and Onida would end up pile driving Buffalo through the table and then Kanemura and Kikazawa would end up grabbing Onida and suplexing him through another barbed wire board and then Kikazawa would then grab Onida and Kanemura would go to hit him with the barbed wire bat but Onida would end up spitting red mist in Kanemura's face. Kai would then come in and hit a Hurricane Rana on Buffalo sending him out of the ring and then delivering a tope to him to the outside and then Onida would pick up a piece of the broken table and begin smashing it over Kanemura's head's head and then follow it up with hitting Kikazawa over the head even more so with the table piece and then Hosaka would end up hitting a Hurricane Rana on Kanemura but Buffalo would come over and hit him with the barbar bat and then Kanemura would end up hitting a senton on Hosaka but Onida would make the save with the table shot. Buffalo and Kikazawa would then set up a barbar board again and go to suplex Hosaka through it but Onida would come over and spit redness in both their faces as Onida and Hosaka would suplex Buffalo through the barbar board followed by Kai coming off the top with a frog splash and Kanemura having to make the save. Onida would then smash a chair over Buffalo's head and then repeated table shots before finishing Buffalo off with the Thunderfire powerbomb to get the win. 
After the match, the lights would turn off, and then they would come back on, and Sabu would be in the ring. Onita would end up getting on the mic and telling Sabu that he looked like the Sheik, and then say about how the Sheik was his friend, and then mumble some stuff about how both he and Sabu were still wrestling, and then would say next time Sabu and him were going to have an explosion match for his retirement match in 2017, with both Sabu and Onita shaking hands. This was obviously Onita just talking, as when the two years would come by, Sabu was not even in consideration for the retirement match, when Onita was trying to find the right opponent, and that was before he gave up on the dream of running his retirement match at Kawasaki Stadium and having to settle at running at Corrigan Hall. And then the main event's going to be Sabu and Tommy Dreamer taking on Masato Tanaka and Junkasai, as well as Nosawa and Minoru Fujita. This is going to be a three-way tag team hardcore match, and this is built as a ECW one-night stand match, although only three of the wrestlers had wrestled in the ECW. All six wrestlers, they would face off against one another, with all of them going to the outside, as Sabu would just throw a chair at Kasai's face. And then Dreamer would end up taking Nosawa in the crowd and spitting water in his face as the fans would chant ECW. Kasai and Nosawa, they would get back in the ring and do a dueling chair spot as Kasai would end up getting the upper hand and smashing the chair over Nosawa's head. Tanaka would then place Nosawa on a table outside the ring as Kasai would dive off the top, sending Nosawa through the table, and then Sabu and Tanaka would face off with Sabu delivering a radiant face buster with a chair on Tanaka. Nosawa would then play New Jack and hit Tanaka and Kasai over the head with a garbage can full of weapons, and then hit Tanaka over the head with a keyboard, and then grab a guitar and smash it over Kasai's head. Nosawa would then go for a Singapore cane shot to Dreamer, but Dreamer would move out of the way and hit a Russian leg sweep on Nosawa, and then take the cane from Nosawa and smash him over the head with it as Sabu would come in and just throw a chair at Nosawa's face. Tanaka and Kasai would then come in and Tanaka would end up hitting a superfly splash on Nosawa followed by a Pearl Harbor splash by Kasai and then Sabu would come in and just throw a table at Tanaka and then hit an Arabian face buster sending Tanaka through the table. Dreamer would then end up hitting Fujita with a DDT and then hit a Spicoli driver on Fujita on the broken table and then Sabu would end up hitting another Arabian face buster on Fujita to get the win. This was an ECW style match in 2015 for its good and its bad, but it probably went as well as it could as it was an entertaining collection of their best of spots. Freedoms would hold a sixth year anniversary show on October 20th at Corrigan Hall. Can you go over the main matches and how this show did? So they would announce a crowd of 826 fans for this show, which I'm sure they would consider a success since they've been having a tough time establishing this and the new March shows to their Corrigan Hall routine. So for this show to do as good as the established May show, I'm sure that this is something that they will gladly take at this point. So on this show, Mitsuo Momoda, who is Ricky Dozan's son and longtime All Japan slash Noah wrestler that's probably best known for wrestling in six-man tags with Giant Baba and other older wrestlers that couldn't go anymore, he's going to team up with his son Shikara here, who is kind of has a cult following going on right now, although he's probably the most unnatural wrestler I've ever seen at this point. And he, they're going to take on the Brahmin brothers here with the return of Karate Brahmin in their corner, with the fans chanting for Karate before the match would start, as the fans and I have missed him. Shakara and a Brahmin brother would start the match off with Shakara doing his one move, which is a chop, before tagging his dad in, who would end up going against both Brahmin brothers that would begin delivering kicks to him, as Karate Brahmin would end up grabbing Mamata and um, a bucket of water would end up being dumped on him. Mamata would tag back in his son, who would begin delivering a chop after chop before Mamata would come back in and they would double suplex one of the Brahmin brothers together. And then Mamata would end up delivering a pile driver to Shu. And then Mamata would end up grabbing a hold of Shu with Shikara going up to the top. But Key would end up coming over and spitting Indian ink in his face. And then Key would end up hitting Mamata over the head with the street sign as Shu would end up rolling him up for the win. So the Brahmin brothers get the win, although Mamata and Shikara 
undercard are going to become regular undercard wrestlers for Freedoms going forward. And then the Freedoms team would take on an All Japan team in a single elimination match with Takashi Sasaki, Jintaro, Kenji Fukimoto, and Toru Sugawara taking on Kento Miyahara, Kotaro Suzuki, Yohei Nakajima, and Jake Lee. The Freedoms team would jump the All Japan team right away and fight with them into the crowd that would lead to Sugawara climbing up to the top and diving onto everybody. Sasaki and Sugawara would then throw Suzuki into the ropes as he would end up coming back with a handspring elbow on both of them, but Fukimoto would come over and hit a packaged pile driver on Suzuki, and then Sasaki would end up hitting him with a DDT, but Suzuki would manage to kick out. Sasaki then would end up trying to hit a DJ, but Suzuki would escape, but would end up falling over the top rope on the apron and bring Sasaki with him as the two would begin striking each other, with Sasaki laying Suzuki out with a kick, but both of them would end up falling to the outside and both would end up being eliminated. Fukimoto would then charge at Nakajima, and Nakajima would move out of the way, and that would send Fukimoto over the top out for the elimination. Jintaro would then come in and send Nakajima over the top to tie it up 2-2, two to two, but then Jake Lee would come over and send Jintaro out over the top, leaving it to just be Sugawara by himself. Sugawara would face off against Lee and Miyahara at the same time, giving them both strikes and chops, but they would end up double-teaming him and end up stepping on Sugawara's face, which would get the crowd really loud booing them. Lee would then end up laying some hard kicks to Sugawara and then charge at him, but Sugawara would catch him and send Lee over the top to a loud pop. The fans are loudly chanting for Sugawara here as the All Japan guys are hated. Miyahara would end up putting Sugawara in a crab and everyone would cheer Sugawara on as he would grab the rope and then Sugawara would come back with strikes and roll Miyahara up, but he would end up kicking out, followed by Sugawara giving a great looking rolling elbow, but Miyahara would end up laying Sugawara out with a boot, and then finishing him off with a German suplex. This was a great last couple of minutes, as Sugawara looked really good here, and the fans were really into this because of how much they hated All Japan. And then the main event's going to be a fluorescent light tubes TLC no canvas death match between Junkasai and Yuko Miyamoto. This match would start with both of them hitting each other over the head with light tubes and then sending one another into the ropes with light tubes attached to it. Miyamoto would end up breaking a light tube and begin cutting Kasai with it and then they would end up going to the outside with Kasai placing Miyamoto on a table and then climbing up to the top and diving off of it sending Miyamoto through the table which was a quite an impressive distance considering Kasai is 39 at this point. Kasai would then end up taking a broken table piece and smash it over Miyamoto's head, followed by a chair shot to the head, and then a light tube to the head as well. Kasai would end up going for a clothesline, but Miyamoto would end up drop kicking Kasai's knee, and Miyamoto would follow it up by taking Kasai's knee brace and throwing it away, and then going after Kasai's knee, including putting Kasai's knee in between the ladder and smashing it with the chair. They would exchange strikes with one another, with Kasai throwing Miyamoto into the ropes as he would come back with a handspring elbow and go right into putting Kasai in an ankle lock. Miyamoto would then end up coming off the top with a leg drop right on Kasai's knee, and then Miyamoto would charge at Kasai, but he would be met with a DDT and then a German suplex on the hard wooden floor. Kasai would then end up going up to the top, but Miyamoto would end up hitting a Hurricane Rana, with Kasai no-selling it right away, and then hitting a reverse Tiger Driver, and then climb up to the top and hit a Pearl Harbor splash, breaking a stack of light tubes, but Miyamoto would still manage to kick out when Kasai would cover him. Kasai would then begin taking out the wooden boards to create a hole in the ring, and go to hit a reverse Tiger Driver, but Miyamoto would end up flipping Kasai over and then pick Kasai up and hit a fire thunder on him into the hole and then Miyamoto would get right out of the hole and hit a moonsault on Kasai with his knee hitting the hard floor and the edge of the hole on the way out. Miyamoto would then begin limping now as he would end up picking Kasai up and hit another fire thunder this time on a stack of light tubes with Kasai still managing to kick out and then Miyamoto would go for another moonsault but Kasai would end up getting up and hit a powerbomb on Miyamoto on the light tube and then Kasai would climb up the top of a ladder and 
hit a Pearl Harbor Splash with Miyamoto kicking out at one, and then Miyamoto would roll Kasai up with the Ganosuke Clutch, but Kasai would kick out, and then Miyamoto would try for another one, and this time Kasai would end up hitting him with the clothesline, and then hit him with the Lariat to get the win, a surprise finish even though they had done so much to each other, one after another. This was okay. It never seemed like they got to third gear, though, like a usual Kasai Corker Hall main event match. Kasai ends up winning a title shot at the Christmas Deathmatch show, although Daisuke Masaaka, he would come to the ring afterwards and won a shot at earning the right to be the number one contender for the Christmas Deathmatch show, with Kasai accepting the match, but he would want something in return if he ends up winning next month that will be revealed after the match. 666 would hold their Halloween show on October 31st at Shinkiba, with Goemon and Onryo teaming up against a familiar team. Can you go over this match? Yes, yeah, so they're going to go up against the former DDT team Amakami and Tanamu Sakatoba in a rematch of their tag match last year in 666. Goemon, he's wearing a do-rag as well as his old Goemon mask here to hide his receding hairline. And then you have Onryo, whose hair looks like he's a part of the band The Cure. And, and also, Toba, he's wearing dog ears, so there's some gimmick there that I'm missing since Jintaro wore them back in June, other than Onryo is a big-time animal lover. Goemon and Toba, they would start, and Goemon would grab Toba by his dog ears and pull on them and then step on them with Toba selling them nicely. Mikami would eventually come in and give both Goemon and Onryo dragon screws before giving Onryo a 619 and then a 450 splash with Goemon having to make the save. Toba would then take a swing at Onryo but miss and Goemon would throw powder in his face with Onryo rolling him up but Mikami would manage to make the save. Onryo would then kick Toba's leg and roll him up with an Onryo clutch to get the win so Goemon and Onryo get their win back from last year. This was not much of a match and I believe this would also be Goemon's final appearance in 666 as like Freedom's years earlier, you can only go so long with someone that has so little hair and such little muscle mass on his body, on top of him being in his late 40s, so Goemon would be done with the promotion following this show. Super Battle FMW would also hold a show on October 31st at the Chiba Blue Field. Can you go over the Onita main event match? On this show, Onita's going to team up with Tadiki Osaka, Riki Fuji, and the masked Daoki, who was working for Kainta Dojo at the time, but now works for New Japan, and they're going to take on the Wing Monster Army team of Kanemura, Tomihiko Hashimoto, Buffalo, and Hasegawa, the Apache Army president, and this is going to be a barbed wire board deathmatch, and Onita, he would end up going after Kanemura right away, and they would slowly begin fighting in the crowd before getting back in the ring, and Onita would end up pile-driving Buffalo through a table. Hashimoto would end up coming in and throwing Onita into the barbed wire board, and then Hashimoto and Kanemura would suplex Onita through that barbed wire board, and then the Wing Monster Army team would grab Onita, and Kanemura would end up going to hit Onita with a barbed wire bat, but Onita would end up spitting red mist in Kanemura's face, and then Osaka would come in and hit a Hurricane Rana to Kanemura, followed by a splash from Ricky, and then Onita would begin smashing Buffalo over the head with a broken table piece, and then Daoki would climb up to the top, but Buffalo would end up hitting him with a barbed wire bat, and then Hashimoto would end up hitting Daoki with a choke slam, and then Kanemura would come off the top with a senton splash, with Onita having to make the save by just throwing a chair at Kanemura across the ring. Hasegawa and Hashimoto would go to suplex Daoki through the barbed wire board, but Onita would come over and make the save by spitting red mist in Hashimoto's face, and then suplexing Hasegawa through the barbed wire board, and then Onita would end up hitting a thunderfire powerbomb on Hasegawa, with Hasegawa kicking out, but Osaka would come over and just hit a running powerbomb on Hasegawa to get the win. These matches are pretty much just following the exact same pattern, move for move, except they're just changing some people out here and there. Freedoms would hold a show on November 23rd, with Jun Kasai taking on Daisuke Masaaka with an interesting stipulation to it. Can you go over the match and the stipulation for everybody? 
Yeah, so this show's gonna take place in Yokohama. It's gonna be a no canvas light tubes deathmatch. So this is the fourth no canvas deathmatch in six months. And it would start with Kasai throwing Masaaka in the corner and smashing a light tube over his head. And then Kasai would work on cutting open Masaaka, including biting his forehead, with Masaaka's face just being covered in blood here. Masaaka would fight back and deliver a drop kick, which would send Kasai out of the ring, and then Masaaka would deliver an Asai moonsault onto him. They would end up getting back in the ring, and Masaaka would climb up to the top with light tubes and toss them at Kasai, with Kasai catching him, and then Masaaka would come off the top and hit a flying drop kick, breaking the light tubes across Kasai. Kamui and Sugawara would then begin taking the wooden boards out of the ring to create the hole in the ring, as Masaaka would end up grabbing a bucket of thumbtacks and drop the bucket of thumbtacks in the hole under the ring. Masaaka would then end up kicking Kasai low and then delivering a fireman's carry, sending Kasai into the hole. Masaaka would then climb out of the hole, but Kasai would end up grabbing his leg with a huge smile on his face, and then Kasai would end up coming out of the hole and try to suplex Masaaka into it. Masaaka would then try for an Asai moonsault in the ring, but Kasai would move out of the way with Masaaka hitting the wood as Kasai would clothesline Masaaka into the hole. Masaaka, though, would end up coming out from under the hole with a smile on his face, though, and light tubes and smash them over Kasai's head. And then Masaaka would end up hitting a power bomb off the top onto Kasai and then would end up delivering a frog splash to him and cover him, but Kasai would manage to kick out. And then Masaaka would end up going for a moonsault but end up missing it, and then Kasai would end up nailing him with a clothesline, followed by a reverse Tiger Driver and would get the win over Masaaka. This was good as Masaaka looked really good here. I mentioned earlier how Masaaka had wanted a shot at becoming the number one contender and facing against Takeda at the Christmas Deathmatch show for the title. Well, Kasai put up his title shot and he wanted something in return from Masaaka and since he won, now he gets what he wants and that's going to be Masaaka shaving his head. So Masaaka would end up taking a razor and begin cutting his hair. Uh, he, they wouldn't show the whole thing but at the next show he would end up being bald and by Christmas he'd have a buzz cut. Back in 2013 they also had Suzumu shave his head bald. It's kind of a sign of you're part of the team now. But with Masaaka this is more of a hey we're projecting you to be a top guy with us at a very rapid pace. So you're going to need to do something as a way to pay your dues to show us that you're all in on us projecting you to be a future champion with us and so that's what this was. Kentaro Kanemura would make an announcement having to do with the future of his career on November 26th. Can you go over what he announced? Yeah, so Kanemura would announce at this press conference that he would be retiring at the end of 2016. So that's going to give him one full year of a retirement tour here. He had known back in September with how much his body was breaking down that he was not going to be able to do this that much longer. And he had recently suffered a hernia in his left foot resulting in numbness. And with it being difficult to walk, it would be difficult to continue wrestling for that much longer. Kanemura's body had really started to break down going back to 2012 when he lost feeling in both his hands. And, and then after taking a couple months off, he came back and said, separated his shoulder on a basic bump right away. Kanemura would state that he had two things that he wanted to do before he retired and that was one, have one more explosion match against Onita and then also for his retirement match he wanted to team up with Masato Tanaka and Tetsuhiro Kuroda one last time and he wanted to face off against Big Japan's Daisuke Sakimoto, Zero One's Koei Sato, and Dragon Gate's Shingo Takai. Super Battle FMW would hold their first Corrigan Hall show on December 22nd. Can you go over this show as well as what trick did they do to help the attendance? 
So before this show, they would try and help it out with a ploy by announcing that if the show did not sell out, the promotion would close down. Well, they would end up announcing a sellout crowd of 1,800 fans for this show, although I don't really believe there were 1,800 fans and this was an actual sellout, but they weren't going to close the promotion down by not actually selling out. And this show would be considered a huge success with how many fans were in attendance. This promotion is kind of like a new ECW group starting up and touring around the country before finally running at the ECW arena. You're going to get a lot of the long-time FNW fans attend this show, they're just not going to attend a Shinkiba, Shinjuku Face, or a Chiba Bluefield show. The show would start with Hayabusa coming out and standing up and talking to the fans for a minute before doing his let's have some fun catchphrase. And on this show, the great Nita, he would end up returning as he would end up teaming up with Buffalo to take on Kinzo and Mitsuya Nagai. And Kinzo, he would end up going right after Nita and taking him to the outside and they would begin brawling before getting back in the ring. And Nita would end up spitting green mist in Kinzo's face and then grab a sickle and begin using it on Kinzo. Nita would then grab Nagai and spit green mist in his face and then take Nagai into the crowd and smash his head against the east sign, leaving Kinzo and Buffalo, with Kinzo hitting an elbow drop on Buffalo to pick up the win in a nothing match. And then the Headhunters, they're going to return to Japan for the first time since 2007, and they're going to take on Kanemura and Koji Nakagawa, who's wearing his old Team No Respect jacket, and for the first time ever, he's going to do the Team No Respect dance with Kanemura. He would never do this dance, despite being an actual member of the group for two years, but now, years later, he is going to do the dance with Kanemura. Um, just a side note, Hayabusa is the only FMW wrestler during this whole time period of Team No Respect that never actually ended up doing the Team No Respect dance. Another note is that Kanemura actually faced off against the Headhunters in their very first Japanese match back at the very first Wing Show in 1991, and now he's going to face off against them again in what would turn out to be their last Japanese match 14 years later. Kanemura would start the match with Headhunter B, and then get into a chop fest with Headhunter A coming over and colliding with Kanemura, knocking him down, and then Kanemura and Headhunter B would tag out, and Nakagawa would go up against Headhunter A, who would just destroy Nakagawa, with Nakagawa having to tag Kanemura back in. Kanemura would then be coming and begin exchanging headbutts with Headhunter A and regret that decision. And then Kanemura would come over and with a strike and then clothesline Headhunter A and knock him down. Both Headhunters would then charge at Kanemura, but he would move out of the way and they would end up running into each other. And then Kanemura and Nakagawa would end up double suplexing Headhunter A and then hit a really bad looking double DDT. Kanemura would try for a shoulder tackle on Headhunter A, but he would end up just getting knocked to the ground. And then B would come over and pick Kanemura up and they would end up hitting a super power bomb on him and then they would end up hitting a double shoulder tackle on Nakagawa and then A would end up climbing up to the top and hitting a moonsault off of it onto Kanemura to get the win. This was horrible but I really liked it. I liked them bringing in former FMW wrestlers and I'll take a bad match like this in return for at least trying to have some roots to the original FMW other than just the same Onita six-man street fight every show. Afterwards Kanemura and Nakagawa would hug which was a really cool sight to see. And then in the semi-main event, Ayako Hamada is going to take on Rei. I haven't gotten the chance to talk about Rei. She had started working for Japanese women promotions back in 2004, and she had also worked for Tajiri's Smash promotion as Lynn Byron. She was known as the female Hayabusa because of her mask and her attire, and she had also become friends with Hayabusa as she had performed at many of his concerts, so they were close. Super Battle FMW had brought her in at the beginning as their main women's wrestler, as she would wrestle different women wrestlers in the semi-main event of each show. I just hadn't really talked about her since this was the first show that was fully taped as everything else had just been Onita main event matches. 
They would show Hayabusa watching this match from afar, as Rei would begin chopping Hamada, but Hamada would move out of the way and just nail Rei hard with a kick to the head, which would probably lead to a concussion. Hamada would then go for a moonsault, but Rei would move out of the way and go for a moonsault herself, but Hamada would end up getting her knees up, and then Hamada would end up nailing Rei with a backdrop and cover her, but Rei would kick out. Hamada would then set up to hit Rei with a powerbomb, but Rei would try to reverse it and deliver a Hurricane Rana, but Hamada would still just manage to nail Rei with that powerbomb and then finish her off with the AP cross to get the win. Some of these moves were really impressive looking, but maybe a little too impressive, as like I said, Ray would end up suffering a concussion, and as she was getting x-rays after the match due to the concussion at the hospital, they would end up finding a tumor in her brain, and it would take a couple months to find out if this tumor was benign or not. And then the main event's going to be Asushi Onida, Masato Tanaka, and Hideki Osaka taking on Raijin Yaguchi, Tomihiko Hashimoto, and Nosawa. They're going to bring back the FNW six-man street fight tag team titles here, although the belts are different ones than the original ones used in FMW. The Onida team, they would come to the ring through the crowd, and Onida would go after Yaguchi right away and take him into the crowd before getting back in the ring and just smashing a chair over Yaguchi's head. Osaka and Tanaka would then hold a table for Onida as he would end up pile-driving Nosawa through it and then cover Nosawa, but Nosawa would manage to kick out, and Yaguchi would come over and spit red mist in Onita's face, and then Yaguchi and Hashimoto, they would set up two barbed wire boards against Onita, and they would both run into the barbed wire boards, squashing Onita with them, and then Nosawa would end up hitting Onita over the head with a guitar, and then they would end up setting another barbed wire board on a stack of chairs, as the fans would begin screaming for Onita here, as Yaguchi and Hashimoto would suplex Onita through that barbed wire board and cover him, but Onita would kick out. Yaguchi would then grab a hold of Onita, as Hashimoto would go to hit him with the barbed wire bat, but Onita, like usual, would end up spitting his red mist in Hashimoto's face, and then throw Nosawa into the barbed wire board, and then Yaguchi and Hashimoto, they would throw Tanaka into the ropes, but he would come back with a double larry on them, as Onida would grab the broken table piece and smash it over Nosawa's head, and then Hashimoto would end up throwing Onida into the turnbuckle, and Onida would end up climbing up the turnbuckle and hitting Hashimoto with the Tornado DDT, which I don't think I've ever seen Onida try before. The Wing Monster Army team would then set up another barbed wire board and chokeslam Hosaka through it and cover him, but Osaka would kick out, and then Hashimoto would try to powerbomb Hosaka, but he would be met with Onita spitting red mist in his face, and then Osaka would end up delivering a Hurricane Rana to Hashimoto, followed by Tanaka hitting a Superfly Splash, and then Onita would spit red mist in Nosawa's face, and then smash him over the head with a broken table piece until he would fall to the mat, and then Tanaka would end up hitting a sliding D on Nosawa, and then Onita would end up hitting him over the head with a chair, and then finish Nosawa off with a Thunderfire Powerbomb to get the win. This was the same match that they've been doing, but with a full crowd that was hot for it. So Onita Tanaka and Hosaka are now the six-man street fight tag team champions, and after a subpar first eight months of this promotion, it finally looks like this is gaining some momentum going into 2016. Jun Kasai would promote his annual Christmas Deathmatch show on December 25th at Corrigan Hall, with him challenging for the King of Freedom title against Masashi Takeda in the main event. Can you go over this match and some of the other top matches, as well as how the show did? So they would announce a crowd of 1,360 fans for this show, which is an all-time Corrigan Hall record for Freedoms, so it's a huge success, especially since last year they couldn't even draw 1,000 fans for the Christmas Deathmatch show with the exact same main event. So over a year's time, Kasai and Takeda have developed into even bigger stars that people are going to pay to see them fight. 
So in this show, Mammoth Sasaki is going to take on All Japan's Takao Amore. This match will start with Mammoth knocking Amore out of the ring and then taking him into the crowd and trying to hit a brain buster on him, but Amore would manage to reverse it and send Mammoth onto the floor and then throw him towards some of the fans sitting in their seats before getting back to ringside and Amore would end up throwing Mammoth into the turnbuckle shoulder first. Amore would then bring Mammoth back in the ring and hit a pile driver on him and then Amore would end up trying for an axe bomber, but Mammoth would catch him and then hit a choke bomb on him and then place a chair over Amore and hit a Mammoth home run followed by a power bomb with Amore kicking out and then Mammoth would go for a pile driver himself but Amore would pick him up and drop him on his head and then finish Mammoth off with the axe bomber. This match was whatever. The match last year with Mammoth and Akibona was so much better than this. And then the next match, back in November, Shikara, he had ended up turning on his father and ended up joining up with the Brahmin Brothers. So it's going to be Mitsuo Momoda, Takashi Sasaki, and Toru Sugawara taking on the Brahmin Brothers, and Shikara now going by Darth Shikara, doing a Darth Vader gimmick. In a homeless man deathmatch, everyone would start off by brawling in the crowd as Karate Brahmin would end up being left in the ring alone by himself, and he would go and get on a yellow toy cow and begin riding it until Takashi Sasaki would notice him in the ring, and Sasaki would end up winding up to give Karate Brahmin a kick to the head, but he would end up being saved by the Brahmin brothers, who would both end up spitting water in Sasaki's face, as Karate Brahmin would ride his cow to safety. Sasaki and one of the Brahmin brothers would end up in the crowd, with Sasaki hitting a running lariat to him, as the other Brahmin brother would end up splashing Sugawara with a bucket of water. Karate Brahmin, to very loud karate chants, would charge after Sugawara, who would end up just moving out of the way, and Karate would end up just walking into the turnbuckle to allow booze to Sugawara. And then one of the Brahmin brothers would grab Sugawara, as the other one would go to hit him with a bag of cans, but Sugawara would move out of the way, as the Brahmin would end up accidentally hitting his brother with a bag of cans, and then Sasaki would take Shikara and lay him out with a kick to the head and cover him, but Shikara would manage to kick out as Sasaki would tag in Momoda, and Momoda would end up chopping his son, with Shikara delivering his robotic chops right back to his dad, and Shikara would end up knocking his dad out of the ring, with Momoda coming back in and getting attacked by both Brahmin brothers, who would smash him over the head with the street sign, and then Shikara would end up chopping his dad in the head off the top rope, with Sasaki and Sugura making the save, and then Shikara would go to hit a choke slam on Momoda, but Momoda would end up rolling him up for the win. So the father ends up one-upping his son here and getting the win over Shikara. And then Yuko Miyamoto is going to take on Daisuke Masaaka in a barbed wire board deathmatch. Masaaka would be the first one thrown into the barbed wire board, with Miyamoto taking the barbed wire and cutting Masaaka open with it, and then wrapping the barbed wire around Masaaka's head and delivering an Irish whip with the barbed wire. Miyamoto would then pick Masaaka up and try to send him into the other barbed wire board, but Masaaka would manage to escape and dropkick Miyamoto into it instead, and then wrap the barbed wire around Miyamoto's head for revenge. Masaaka would then come off the top rope with a flying dropkick that would send Miyamoto outside and Masaaka would end up delivering an outside moonsault onto him and then get back in the ring and dump a bucket of thumbtacks over himself but Miyamoto would come back and slam Masaaka onto them. Miyamoto would then begin rolling Masaaka into the thumbtacks all over the mat with the thumbtacks covering both of their backs as a result and then Miyamoto would place Masaaka on a ladder and go for a phoenix senton but Masaaka would move out of the way and then climb up the ladder and powerbomb Miyamoto off the ladder into the thumbtacks, and then Masaaka would deliver a knee to Miyamoto 
Miyamoto, sending him out of the ring, but Miyamoto would end up just grabbing a chair and just smashing it over Masaaka's head, and then Miyamoto would pull out a bag of cactus balls and would look to hit a fire of thunder, but Masaaka would escape and deliver a running kick to Miyamoto's head, and then Masaaka would try for another running knee, but this time he would get caught and then hit with the fire thunder, followed by a thunder fire powerbomb on the ladder, with Masaaka still managing to kick out, but Miyamoto would end up finishing Masaaka off shortly after with a moonsault to get the win. This is a good match with Masaaka being the long-term project for the company. He's going to lose here a lot to the bigger name guys, but there is a long-term plan for him. And then the main event's going to be Junkasai challenging for the King of Freedom world title against Masashi Takeda in a four-corner glass board death match. Both Kasai and Takeda would give the middle finger right in their faces to start the match, with the crowd letting it be known that they are all in on Team Kasai as they would be chanting loudly for him. A small Takeda chant would break out after the Kasai chant would die down, but Takeda, he would end up starting the match by just throwing Kasai into the corner of a glass board, but Kasai would stop himself just short, with Takeda coming at him and delivering a knee, sending Kasai through the first glass board and then Takeda would end up taking some of the glass and just shoving it in Kasai's forehead and then hitting him with the DDT into the glass and then Takeda would place a chair over Kasai's head and hit him with another chair and then Takeda would go for a clothesline but Kasai would duck it and then Kasai would end up clotheslining Takeda through the second glass board Followed by Kasai putting Takeda in his arm scorpion, with Takeda getting out of it and putting Kasai in the ankle lock, with Kasai getting out of it by hitting an enziguri, but Takeda would follow that up with hitting a German suplex, and Kasai would just no-sell it and hit a lariat. Kasai would then charge at Takeda with a running chair shot to the head, and then place Takeda on the top of the turnbuckle, and set up another glass board, and then Kasai would go up to the top, but Takeda would end up grabbing him, and delivering a German spider suplex off the top, sending Kasai through the glass board in an awesome looking spot, and then he would end up hitting a rolling senton with Kasai still managing to kick out. The fans now are chanting for Takeda much louder than they were earlier as Takeda would end up beginning to just punch the crap out of Kasai with Kasai coming back and punching back but Takeda would win that war and hit an Olympic slam and then Takeda would set up the last glass board and try for a U-crash but Kasai would get out of the way and then Takeda would try to put Kasai in a cross arm breaker while sending him through the glass board but the board would not break. A really frustrated Takeda would just grab the board and throw it at Kasai and then try to do the spot again and this time successfully put Kasai through the board while having the cross arm breaker locked on but Kasai would still manage to fight out and just begin punching Takeda and then Kasai would nail Takeda with a reverse tiger driver followed by a Pearl Harbor splash but Takeda would manage to get up his knees and then they would both get up and begin punching each other more as Takeda would end up hitting him with a dragon suplex and trying again for the U-Crash but Kasai would just kick him in the face and then begin headbutting him and then hit two more reverse tiger drivers to get the win. This was really good as these two can't have a bad match and the spider German spot through the glass board was awesome and the crowd ate this up. Kasai winning the title back as they would be chanting loudly for him but this match was a notch below their previous Christmas deathmatch show which was a notch below their 2013 deathmatch tournament finals match which remains their top match with one another at this point. Kasai who was more of a transitional champion last year to get the title on Takeda will now go into 2016 and be given an actual title run here as by far the most popular freedoms wrestler. Atsushi Onita would finish the year on December 31st by promoting a show on the street in Yokosuka. Can you go over this match? Yeah, so this is going to be Onita teaming up with Riki Fuji and Hideki Osaka, and they're going to take on Nosawa, Raijin Yaguchi, and Tomihiko Hashimoto in an exploding barbed wire bat 
barbed wire board death match. And this would start with Onita taking Yaguchi into the street and just throwing his head into some buildings nearby before they would end up just fighting in the massive crowd that's surrounding them with Yaguchi grabbing a street cone and hitting Onita with it. They would end up getting back in the ring and Onita would end up pile driving Nosawa through a table but Yaguchi would come over and send Onita into the barbed wire board and then Yaguchi and Hashimoto they would end up setting Onita down on a chair as Nosawa would end up turning on the exploding barbed wire bat and hitting Onita across the chest with it. Nosawa would then end up taking a non-explosive bat and begin beating Onita with it and then Hashimoto would go to hit Onita with the bat but Onita would end up spitting red mist in his face and then throw Nosawa into the barbed wire board. Onita would then end up hitting a bad looking tornado DDT on Hashimoto and then follow that up with hitting Nosawa with a thunderfire powerbomb and then he would grab a broken table piece and begin smashing it over Nosawa's head and then smash a chair over Nosawa's head and then he would turn on the exploding barbed wire bat and smash it across Nosawa's chest and then pin Nosawa to get the win again this is every Onita match but this time in a really cool setting in the middle of a street on New Year's Eve at night Alright Brett, can you let everybody know where they can find you? Yeah, you can find my website at BahuFMW.com or FMWWrestling.us. I have very detailed biographies of a bunch of the FMW wrestlers on that site. I have results covering the last 30 years from FMW to Freedoms. I have news going over the last 20 plus years. And I also sell DVDs and MP4s of many different promotions, including FMW, Freedoms, Big Japan, Zero One, uh, like I said, a bunch of other promotions. And my library is always growing. And you can find my Instagram at BahuFMWWorld, where I go through all my Japanese wrestling magazines and take pictures of FMW related things that I find. I also um, have a Twitter, Bahu FMW, where you can find all news and anything that's going on in the world of freedoms or FMW. And I also post these one minute clips of this day in history when it comes to FMW that are really popular. You can find me on YouTube at Brett FMW, where I've been posting all the history of FMW videos on there as well. I've been uploading my top 100 FMW matches on YouTube as well. And then also I have a Facebook group called History of FMW where I post random FMW videos and you can talk with a bunch of FMW fans and uh, every day something gets posted by somebody at least. And then also any of these in a podcast form on your phone, you can just search History of FMW on Apple, Stitcher, it's on a bunch of other uh, podcast websites. And that's pretty much it. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We will be back next episode where we'll go over the sad events that take place over the first half of 2016. We'll see you then.